Starbright Project, a headcast network podcast about one of the greatest TV shows ever created, Quantum Leap. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Moss. I have been a Quantum Leap fan since uh, 1989. I discovered Quantum Leap through my mother. I was in my room at the time when my mom came in and told me there was a show that I needed to watch since it was about time travel. So I turned on NBC and settled in to watch my first episode. Man, I was hooked. Watched every episode. I rewatched it when it was re-aired on the USA Network and then later on other channels. Joining me is my wife and co-host, Michelle Moss. Hello. Unlike Mr. TV... Hey, I resemble that. I can't say that I had the same experience. I may have seen two, three episodes, and what I did see, I thoroughly did enjoy. When I met Aaron, it was one of those moments that surprised him when I told him that I actually knew of the show. Though, I didn't tell him how little I had actually seen. Here it is 14 years later, and now I'm watching each episode in order, one by one, as if it was a new primetime TV show, and I truly am excited. I do hope my inexperience will bring some nostalgia back to some of the old fans as I relive some of the mysteries and ask some questions you may have once asked back when you took your first leap with Sam and the rest of the Star Bright Project crew. Join us monthly as Michelle and I settle in and watch the entire run of Quantum Leap. I'm the Quantum Leap, I guess, expert on the show. (laughs) And I'm going to be the one asking a lot of questions, but hopefully helping reignite people's love for the show through a fresh pair of eyes. And we can experience it together on the Starbright Project podcast. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Moss. Welcome to our first episode of our brand new show, The Starbright Project, a Quantum Leap podcast, a proud member of the Headcast Network. As I said in the intro, I've been a fan since near the beginning. I think my first episode was like number eight, Kamikaze Kid. I would have been about 19 at the time. <laughs> and that would have put me about, uh, what, about 12? Yeah. And not interested in the show whatsoever. Hi. I'm Michelle, I'm his wife, and I didn't catch an episode until I was in my late teens, maybe early 20s, but what I do remember is how much I enjoyed those episodes that I did see. I liked how Sam had to solve a problem to leap. But before we get to our first episode, I would like to cover some background of the show first. Oh good, because, well, I know nothing. Well, it's not that I don't know anything, but because I'm new to the show, unlike most fans that are listening, this is going to be kind of neat for me. So I'm going to turn the mic back over to you unless I have a question which I'm probably going to have a lot of. (laughs) So again, some background on the show. Most of this information came from Wikipedia. Uh, Quantum Leap was a science fiction TV show created by Donald P. Belisario. Originally aired on NBC for five seasons from March the 25th of 1989 through May the 5th of 1993. It starred Scott Bakula as Dr. Sam Beckett, a physicist who leaps through space-time during an experiment in time travel by temporarily taking the place of other people to correct historical mistakes. Dean Stockwell co-stars as Admiral Al Calvici, Sam's womanizing, cigar-smoking companion and best friend, who appears to him as, well, a hologram. The premise of the show, in the near future, this is Dr. Sam Beckett, 
Skybacula, theorized that it's possible to time travel within one's own lifetime and attains government support to build his project, Quantum Leap. Some years later, the government threatens to pull funding as no results have been made, so Sam decides to test the project accelerator by himself to save the project before anyone can stop him. He is then thrown back in time on gaining consciousness, finds that while he physically exists in the past, he appears to everyone else as a person that he leapt into and further has partial amnesia related to his own identity. A hologram of his friend, Admiral Al Calvici, played by Dean Stockwell, appears visible in audio audible to only Sam and helps to explain to Sam that he must correct something went wrong in the past aided with the resources of the project supercomputer Ziggy voiced by Deborah Pratt the creator uh, his wife at the time and once that is corrected he should be able to leap back to the present despite successful correcting the past Sam continues to pull leap randomly to other places in time within the second half of the 20th century and so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life striving to put right what once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. A lot of what I just covered is pretty much in the first episode, which we're going to cover here in a little bit. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, cast yeah. Of the, <laughs> the cast of this show is Dr. Sam, or I'm sorry, Samuel Sam Beckett, played by Scott Bakula, who also narrates the episodes in question. He's a quantum physicist with six doctoral degrees. He grew up with his parents' farm in Elkridge, Indiana, with an older brother named Tom, and a younger sister named Katie. Sam's idol is Albert Einstein. And again, a lot of the stuff that I'm going to tell you about Sam and Al and everybody, we're going to learn more about this as the show goes on. Moving on from him, the next main star is Albert Al Calvici, USM, played by Dean Stockwell, is a womanizing U.S. Navy rear admiral and Sam's best friend, who grew up in an orphanage and was later active in the civil rights movement at the time of Sam's leaps. Al spends his free time with his lover and the project's medical technician, Tina Martinez, who is played by Gigi Rice, okay. who appears in the fourth season episode, The Leap Back. Yes. Okay, I'm really glad you cleared that up because when you said lover, I kind of was wondering what kind of lover you had met for a minute there. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, Tina is part of the project, and yeah, they, they've got a thing going at times. She wasn't the one in the car, was she? No, no. That was somebody else. Again, he's a womanizer. I kind of figured that through just the first episode. <laughs> uh, Ziggy, voiced with the, as the introduction narrator, Deborah Pratt, who, as I said, is was married to Donald Donald Bellaroso at the time, was also a co-executive producer of the show, and just so you know, she also wrote some episodes. In fact, she wrote the second episode we'll talk about next month. Uh, she is, is the self-aware artificial intelligence parallel hybrid computer with an ego that runs Project Quantum Leap and helps Sam throughout his leaps and appearing in the fourth season episode, The Leap Back. Also, so I said that's voiced by a woman named Deborah Pratt. Uh, pay attention for the first, I think, season or two. They refer to Ziggy as he or him. Uh, we'll cover that when we get to it. Oh, Just gee, remember thanks. that. Just give you some confusion. Uh, the other regular cast member is Irving, a.k.a. Gushy Gushman, played by Dennis Wolfberg. May he rest in peace. He's the project's often-mentioned head programmer who is said to have bad breath. I was going to say, wasn't he the guy that had bad breath? Yes. He appears in five episodes, including the pilot and the finale. He's the one that, which we'll talk about, is calling Al and telling him that Sam's getting into the accelerator. He's on the mic. That's Gushy. Oh, that's the guy that was all... No, the guy that... We'll get the... To the guy that was standing up there straight with his hair in the white, that's Sam leaping. Right. The guy that was on yeah, the microphone yelling at uh, Al was Gucci. Yeah, okay. That was Gucci. All right. Uh, Dr. Verbena Beeks, played by Candy Ann Brown, is often mentioned as the project's physicist. physicist. She appears in two episodes throughout the series. The main premise for Quantum Leap was inspired by such movies as Heaven Can Wait and Here Comes Mr. Jordan, as well as the 1960s TV show, The Time Tunnel. It also may have evolved out of unused Battlestar Galactica story that's proposed for the Galactica 1980 citation. Series creator Donald P. Bellaroso saw its concept as a way of developing an ongoing anthology series as anthologies were unpopular with the network. The series ran on NBC for five seasons from March 1989 
as I said earlier, through May of 1993. The music on this was by Mike Post. He was the same guy that did the music on Law & Order. He was my wife of joy. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, no wonder why you like these shows so much. A lot of the same guys do a lot of these same shows I like, yes. And besides the TV show, there was also 13 issues of a comic book. There Again, was... I wonder why you like these shows. <laughs> these came out much later. But yeah, there was about 20 novels. And there was, four... there was 20 novels based in this universe and then four books it was about Quantum Leap itself non-fiction books and have you read all these things? Uh, I've read almost all the 20 novels and I've read a couple of the other books about it my goodness gracious Uh, a couple of other sites if you're interested in Quantum Leap there's the Quantum Leap dash alsplace.com and also there's projectquantumleap.com a couple of interesting websites I haven't been much to the second one but I used, before I years ago when the internet first was a thing I discovered the quantumleap dash alsplace.com it's a great site uh, but that's enough of a little background I guess now we can start the actual first episode So the first episode was entitled Genesis. Originally, it was a two-hour episode, and then when they reshow it in uh, syndication, it's broken into two different parts. So it's a two-hour episode. Directed by David Hemmings, written by Donald P. Belisario, again, the creator. The leap location and date, again, this is from the Wikipedia page, said it was at Edwards Air Force Base in Blockfield, California, and the date was September the 13th of 1956. Which is odd because Edwards Air Force Base is in Kern County in Southern California. If you look it up, uh, it's like 22 miles. There's no mention of any town called Blockfield, so I'm wondering if it was just made up for the show. That's what I, I don't know. This one was pulled from Wikipedia. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm assuming they made it up for the show, so it's not an actual town. But I wonder if it was filmed in Edwards Air Force Base. Possibly. Possibly. It's kind of cool. Or the last part of the episode takes place in Waco, Texas, in the summer of 1968, the year before I was born. The original air date of the show was March the 26th of 1989. So let's go ahead and go for the synopsis on this. Uh, the episode starts off with Al picking up a woman with a flat tire. As she's telling him rumors about what's out in the desert, Al gets a frantic call from Gushi that Sam is in the accelerator leaping. I really liked her earrings and her shoes. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I thought her shoes were really cool. They had like lights on her heels. Yes. After an intro of flying through clouds, we zoom into a clock that's going backwards with a man waking in bed next to a pregnant woman. The man, who's known as Tom, thinks that he doesn't remember going to bed with her. Tom starts to shave to start his day. Looking in the mirror, he sees someone who doesn't recognize staring back at him. Thinking that he's dreaming, he goes along with it, waiting for the boogeyman to show up, as he calls it. Tom learns that his name is Tom Stratton. He's a married man with 1.5 children and is a pilot in the U.S. Air Force. Tom, a practical joker, tells his buddy Bird Dog that he can't remember how to fly. And they explain that Bird Dog is because he's a little bit of a horn dogger and he likes to pick up because back in the 50s, they would call women birds, I guess. Yes. And that's where they got the Bird Dog. His, his last name was Burdell. And so they played Burdell. Bird. Oh, bird I didn't dog. catch yeah. that. I yeah, just thought because Burdell, you know, they so. would call them birds. Yeah. So, and that's probably also what it is. But yeah, he's a bird dog chasing down, you know, a dog chasing down the girlies. My kind of guy. I mean, uh, Ha, ha, anyway, so he tells Bird Dog that he can't remember how to fly. Well, listen to a lecture from one of the uh, bases' doctor named Weird Ernie, played by Bruce McGill. A man in a tux and overcoat approaches Tom and jokes with him. Later on, at a bar with his wife, Tom once again sees a mysterious man whom his wife can't see and goes over to talk to him. The mystery man reveals that Tom's real name is Sam and he's part of an experiment before mysteriously vanishing through an invisible door. Later that night, while Sam is sleeping, we see another point of view of him in his room. Then the camera zooms out the window 
out into the sky and then comes back into the bed. Sam wakes up remembering that he used to milk cows on the farm with his dad and his sister Katie and his mom. He also remembers that his dad died in 1974 while currently there in 1956. Say what? Sam once again talks to the mysterious man while fishing with his son who answers some more of Sam's questions. The man is a friend of his named Albert Al Calavici. Sam is part of a time travel experiment that went a little caca. Al tells Sam that they tried to retrieve him earlier that morning. For the retrieval to work, everyone must believe that he is Tom Stratton. Everyone in 56 sees Sam as Tom, and the people in the future see Tom as Sam. At the Air Force Base, Sam gets another visit from Al, who explains to him about Project Quantum Leap. One end of this string represents your birth. The other end, your death. You tie the ends together, and your life is a loop. Ball the loop, and the days of your life touch each other out of sequence. Therefore, leaping from one point of the string to another will move you backward or forward within your own lifetime. Which is our project, Quantum Leap. To Sam, Al is a hologram. To Al, Sam and everything around him is a hologram. Ziggy, it's a computer they built, as I talked about earlier, has a theory that God, time, or whatever, is using Sam to correct something that went wrong in 1956. Originally, Tom Stratton died trying to break Mach 3. Sam, who's never flown before, just needs to break Mach 3 and lift. The next shots, the next shots of them getting home is him maybe sitting on an atomic bomb, exploding, freezing his brain till all electric activity ceases, or he continued to live out his life as Tom Stratton, and he'll be back home in about 40 years. We find out that Al was an ex-astronaut and can help him fly the experimental plane. Later that night, his wife Peggy makes him promise something, but she won't tell him what it is until the next night, after he's supposed to fly the plane. The next day, he turns in a memory test to one of the base's doctors, which is all part of the joke that Bird Dog is playing on the doctors, especially aimed at Crazy Eddie, Bruce McGill. The two doctors review Sam's questionnaire and puzzle over some of the answers. Captain Stratton has answered every question as if he was born in 1953 and has lived in the future. On the plane, one of the other pilots tells Sam that before the plane exploded last time that he flew it, he smelled coffee. As Sam has dropped from the plane carrying his X-22, Al shows up and shows him how to fly the jet. Al explains he was late because he met a woman named Martha. As Sam nears Mach 3, he hears the fuel line heating up, which sounds like percolating coffee, which explains the smell. Instead of throttling back, he punches the Mach 3, causing his plane to explode and crash, but not before he luckily bails out. Landing and disappointed to find out he's still in 1956, he's taken to the hospital to be checked out, where he finds that his wife went into premature labor. Sam, after showing Peg Lamaze, which wasn't a thing at the time, realizes that he has a PhD in medicine and tells the doctor they need to get Peg drunk to stop the labor, to everyone's surprise. Sam looks out the window and tells his son that both mom and sister are fine. The boy throws a ball to Sam. As it flies in there towards him, Sam finds himself on a baseball field catching a ball. Sam, this time called a man called Tim Fox, excuses himself to go to the restroom where he has a little chat with Al. Al reveals some more details to Sam. One is that time is different between the two of them. While for Sam, it was an instant leap, for Al and everybody in the future, it was six days between the leaps. Sam is an older ball player named Tim Fox that hurt himself and was sent back to the minors to recover five years ago. This is Fox's last game, and Al tells him that he strikes out the center field. Afterward, he retires, opens a KFC franchise, and marries a gal and has two kids. He also reveals that back in 1956, Tom lived and his wife and baby girl both lived, who all died originally, and the daughter is named Samantha. He also learns that the holograms don't reflect in mirrors, that Sam holds six doctorates, one in medicine and one in quantum mechanics. He also learns that his name is Sam Beckett. Learning of his name, he is now able to call home and speak with his father, John Beckett, who is still alive at this point. He poses as his cousin. He has a heart-to-heart -heart with his dad. After he hangs up, John tells a young Sam that he just spoke with his uncle's son. Back in 1968, Sam realizes that leaping isn't a bad thing, you know, fixing things that once went wrong. He then goes out and due to a comedy of errors, makes a home run, winning the game for the Bombers. He leaps out into either a teacher or professor of some sort as the episode ends.
So that is the first episode of Quantum Leap. Again, I've seen that multiple times. I thought it was a great show. Michelle, your first time actually seeing the premiere episode. Do you have any brief thoughts, any first thoughts on the episode? Well, first of all, the first time I saw it, I was playing Legos with our son. So um, I missed some actual key parts. So we had kind of had a discussion. At, I kind of want to jump to the end. That's fine. Go ahead and jump to the end. Okay. Let me go back. And then we'll go back. Because it's quantum leap and we're jumping tiny line <laughs> Well, because it really kind of made a difference when we rewatched it. So I kind of want to lay that on the table first. So at the end of the episode, when he jumps or leaps into the baseball player. Tim Fox. Tim Fox. And he has that conversation with his dad. I got really annoyed because I missed... So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to word this well, properly. Well, we go back to the... Yeah, well... Because yeah, because the whole episode for me was the whole aviator testing pilot guy doing all this stuff and trying to get you know the whole that whole premise of the show and then they did this long forty five minute or how long almost two hour was it two hour it was the, the last segment was like t- the last 10-15 minutes but the how rest long of the was show, the whole, whole show uh, all it was together. like an hour and a half hour 45 minutes okay an hour and 45 minutes and then all of a sudden he leaps into this baseball player and so then the first hour and a half or yeah. so so the first hour and a half I was invested in it and I watched it and when he was trying to I'm going to go back to the actual episode and he called, and he's trying to call, and he's frustrated, and he can't remember what he's doing. And I caught all that. Um, and he's frustrated because he can't remember the phone number. And then he hangs up because he can't remember the phone number. I just felt like, okay, he can't remember the phone number. He's frustrated because he can't remember the phone number. I took it as face value. is I guess the best way to put it, face value. Then at the end of the show, they throw in this baseball player leap for like 15 minutes and I was like what the hell I, it felt like just a filler episode to fill time and then he calls his dad and he pretends to be the cousin or whatever and I knew it was like a heartfelt moment don't get me wrong and I knew and you're talking to somebody who cannot handle any kind of feeling. First thing I ask people when they recommend a movie is, is it going to make me cry? Because if it's going to make me cry, I'm not going to watch it. Um, so I'm pretty sure there's going to be episodes where I'm just going to gripe and moan that it's going to make me cry yeah. and I'm going to be mad. But um, so I was really frustrated because I felt like it was just a dumb episode because I felt like it had no real connection. It just felt like filler. And we And you kept trying to tell me... No, it, it makes it full circle, and it it comes where it shows all this. And I was like, no, it was just dumb. But then when we rewatched it, and I started, and I didn't have a five-year-old playing Legos with me, and I was actually able to ingest pay and pay attention, and I caught the year... Um, of 1974 and I caught uh, that it was more of an emotional 
frustration and it was more of an emotional response versus a more of a frustration and it was more of an inside feeling i guess well the first time when he, when he got frustrated it was a little bit of both yes because again he he remembered he had a dad that died in 1974 he realized that he's currently 1956 so his dad's still alive right and so he wants to call and talk to his dad but he's frustrated because he can't remember the entire number to his dad and the operator's like well give us the name and he can't remember his last name so it's hard to find that he knows we're in Indiana, right? But he doesn't know the person, his dad's name. He doesn't know his full name, right? All he knows his name is Sam at this point. So that's why, yeah, he gets frustrated because he can't remember the number. He remembers his dad. He knows his dad's still alive. This is a chance for him to talk to him again, right? He hasn't talked to him. I mean, I think the series takes place present time is like 1999, I think, if I'm not mistaken, okay. or somewhere around there. So his dad's yeah, you know, from 74 to 99. His dad's been dead for what 20 some odd years, right? This was a chance that he'd go back and talk to his dad and maybe make a difference or do something. And he can't get through because he can't remember his last name. Right. So that's and, what frustrates him so much. Right. And it just, it really hit home for some reason. And then it hit me. It was like, well, wait a minute. That's why he called his dad in 74. Right. When he left. When Sam he left. Or Al meant actually gave him his last name this time. Right. Named Sam Beckett. And so he's able to get the operator and get the Beckett residence in Elk Ridge, Indiana. Right. And get through to his dad that time. And then everything started clicking in place. And why he had the response he had. And why it made sense that they put that in there. And it all came for a full circle. Yeah. And then I, then the next thing I, was, I said to you was, oh, well then this probably isn't a show where you can't leisurely watch it because of those nuances. Like, right. you really need to sit down and ingest the show for what it is. And, and like I was telling you, there's some episodes that you can briefly watch and get most of it, but... In fact, a lot of the shows you can just watch and, and get the main gist, but... This is one of those shows, this isn't, you know, Three's Company or right. some show that, you know, it's just a laugh track. This show, to me, to, to fully ingest the entire show, you need to watch it from beginning to end without disturbances if you can. Because, yeah, there's little nuances that you, if you miss a bit of dialogue, something at the end is going to be, what the heck? What, I missed something. What's going on here? Right. And it was only a few little pieces <laughs> of dialogue because the rest of it we watched and I got everything else, but it was just... Those, I mean, it was like literally two or three little lines that mm -hmm. completely made a complete difference. So it was just really weird, but it made me think. And then now reflecting on it again, having seen those other episodes, and I don't even remember what they are. I'm sure once I see them again, I could tell you, oh, yeah, I remember watching that when I was younger. But I just had that mentality of I knew I liked it. And so I'm, I know I'm going to like it. So, and I know at that time I didn't really pay much attention to. I just knew I enjoyed the show. So that was my mentality going into it. So I'm just going to enjoy the show and, and like it for what it is. But rewatching it a second time, it was kind of one of those things where, for instance, Game of Thrones. When I watched Game of Thrones and I watched it for the first time, I watched it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then when I brought a friend into it to watch it, I started picking up all the little nuances where someone mm -hmm. would nod to someone and you get, it's like when you're a fan of something and you watch it the right. second time, 
you start picking up more of the other things that you never noticed before. Mm-hmm. Well, like I say and, I've watched it, you know, the entire series, and so we watched these early episodes. And again, there are some, and we'll be talking about these as we go along. There are mistakes in the show, right? But as I talk about with my other podcast, when I'm a big fan of something, I can explain it away, <laughs> or a lot of times. So, and one of the mistakes is, well, let's cut back real quick. We're talking okay. about the. When uh, Sam calls and talks to his dad, uh-huh. as I said, after his dad gets off the phone, he goes and tells young Sam that he spoke with his cousin. They may come out for Thanksgiving or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the young boy, I forget the actor's name, but they dubbed Scott Bakula's voice over the actor. To make, so you, I guess in case someone wasn't smart enough to realize... Who he was? That was supposed to be Sam. Yeah, they actually used, had uh, Scott Bakula record the dialogue and they, they dubbed over what the kid said. I was just excited that I picked up that the kid in 74 had mentioned about milking cows. Right. And then back when we re-watched it again in the bedroom when he was talking to his wife or pregnant wife, the aviator guy. Um, Tom was talking to his wife, Peyton. Tom. He was talking about, she said, he said something about milking cows and I actually got the two connections. So I was super excited about that. So... Anyways. Yeah, I don't know if I like the fact that they dubbed over Sam's voice, or I'm sorry, Scott's voice over young Sam. I think that's that's not, and again, this was the first episode, they weren't quite sure, this is back in 89, they weren't quite sure how time travel show would take. You know, I didn't even notice. But. I didn't notice it. And I noticed the voice a little off, and I found out later that it was Scott Bakula's voice dubbed over. So, as a newbie, or someone, I didn't even notice it, so. But yeah, so it's just, to me it seems like they don't trust the audience enough at this point to realize that who that's supposed to be. Right. But yeah, yeah that's the last part of that. I said the last 10, 15 minutes, yeah, he leaps into Tim Rice. So. And I like it. While well, we're here at this end, let's go and talk about the end. Then we'll back talk oh, about the rest. Since okay. it is we'll go tiny one. Really wobbly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like how originally, uh, Tim Rice, you know, fou- uh, hit out the center field got caught he was out he ended his career and you know the team lost and you know al tells him at the end he's like well you know you're, you're gonna foul out or you're gonna hit it out the center get knocked out it's the game's over you know and he's like no tim rice did that i'm not him just all cocky and it's like when you're watching he's not gonna do it he's too he's too full of himself <laughs> yeah. but i do like he went out there and he yeah he he hit the uh there was he got three strikes but the catcher dropped the ball so he's able to run to them, and then just like they were comedy of errors, they kept throwing the ball and miss, missing it, or he was able to get around it, and he was able to make a home run, which won the game for the Bombers. Yep. So I just thought that was a nice... And I liked how it was called the Bombers, which to me is kind of like a tie-in tie to the airplane. I don't know. I really don't know how much of that really is or if I'm kind of reaching, that but... That very well could be. I, I haven't read into it that much to see, but that very well could be why they called the team the Bombers. Because it ties in earlier with the Air Force and all that. Yeah. Plus, they were bombing out. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, and as far as is the end, if you want to kind of keep it talking about the end versus the that's beginning. Um, I like the fact, and, and I know we talked about this, um, how the first episode, the first time you see his face, the Tom. Right, in the mirror. In the mirror. Tom looks similar to Sam and then right. I'm trying to get used to all these names so bear with me guys and gals whoever's listening um 
when he looks in the mirror, there's still some similarity between the two right. actors. It's not a complete shock. And I think they kind of did that to where maybe the viewers aren't so uncomfortable with the changes. I don't know. But um, and the, I think that the actual got, uh, Tom was better looking than... The, Scott Bakula. I always want to say Dracula for some reason, but or Count Duckula. Um, but yeah anyways but what really was cool though for me in my mind was how when they finally showed him leaping again they made sure that it was a very different looking face very very different to show that it was completely I mean it wasn't like it was a different ethnicity or a different uh, sex or anything like that. But this guy was a very pale, white, curly-haired guy. There was no resemblance to <laughs> the other characters. Right. Whereas the other ones, they kind of re- not resembled each other, but there was more of a mm-hmm. comfort level yeah. there. At least for me, because when he did look in the mirror, it actually did shock me. <laughs> I was like, ugh. You know, like, I was just like, he's not that good looking. And it was kind of gross. He looked kind of old and worn out. and He was. <laughs> exactly. But they did a good job right. with that. And they picked a good actor to fit that part. But I think it they needed to do that to really show the viewer, someone like me who's new to the show, right. that there was that leap of a different body completely. Right. And I think they did a good job with that. What do you think? I I like the show. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't really catch all that when I first watched it Ooh. years ago. I mean, yes, I noticed they were a different guy, but I didn't really pay as much thought into it. Again, I'm not a big thinker. A lot of times, I uh, yeah, I watched the joy, I enjoyed it. I realized that they were two different people, but I didn't really consider it like you did. I didn't put the thought into you did. So well, I mean, you weren't going to be doing a podcast, so you no, weren't. Yeah, when I watched this back, and I probably watched this back in the early '90s when I, we caught it in a rerun. Uh, yeah, I wasn't nothing about podcast thirty years ago. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, now now that you mentioned, yeah, I I actually see it and can think about what you're saying. I just never really thought about that until you mentioned it. So let's go back to the beginning a little bit. Uh, a couple things, like I said, as I mentioned in the uh, when I was talking about the background of the show, Deborah Pratt, who was Donald Bellarosa's wife at the time, they've since divorced. She does the voice of Ziggy. That's supposed to be Ziggy at the very beginning, supposedly, but. If you notice in this episode, they refer to Ziggy as a him. And like, hey, sometime, I forget, we'll find out as we're watching it and re-watching it. At some point, they'll change it to a female. They'll say she, start saying she. So is it kind of like uh, he just goes upstairs with uh, Chuck? Chuck? No, no, I don't think. I think what it was, somewhere along the way, because again, they got a writer's room. They got different people writing this. Mm-hmm. I think somewhere along the way, they decided to make it a female and just change without worrying about it. You could consider it a mistake, but again, I have a fan wink for that. 
I think, because again, this is time, and we'll find out as we go along, that Sam is affecting time. And like the throwing a rock into a, uh, a puddle of water, you have ripples that go out. Right. So while he's affecting one person's life, unbeknownst to him, the ripples will go out and it may affect other things. So somewhere along the way, something he does causes a ripple that makes Ziggy go from being a male computer to a female Kind of like in the Arrowverse when someone had a boy and then they turned... Yeah, when... Uh, one of the guys... Diggle had originally a had a son. Uh, Flash went through the Flashpoint, created an alternate universe when he came back. Diggle then had a girl. Woo-hoo. Similar to that, yes. Very oh, much so. Proud of me, aren't you? Yes. Woo-hoo. And again, we'll talk more about that as we come along because I say eventually it'll come up and there'll be other things about timey-wimey and time-changing Right. in other episodes. So now that we talked about the end a little bit, let's go back and talk about the beginning a little bit more. So again, like I said, we started out out picking up a woman with a flat tire. And again, that's basically to show you how much of a horn dog he is, how much of a womanizer he is. Because we'll find out later as he's talking to Sam that he has a girlfriend at the project. But they talk about all the, you know, he tried to hook up with this chick. He talked about how he met this other girl named uh, Martha. So yeah, he's very much the womanizer. And again, we'll get, again, in the future, we'll deal more with that. And you'll find out why. So I, I did like, I just want to say I liked how when the show started after Goosh is yelling at Al that Sam's an accelerator and he's leaping, next shot we see is soaring through the clouds. And we get that for a couple of minutes and then we kind of zoom down into the, uh, the house and we see the clock going backwards to show, to represent that's Al, I'm sorry, Sam leaping back into the past. Yeah, that was pretty the cool. The clock going backwards and all of a sudden stops and goes forward when he's in the body. And we go with, with uh, Sam doing his little monologue, trying to figure out who he is, where he's at, why he's in bed with a pregnant woman that he doesn't ever go to bed with. Right. Uh, so did, you, did that make sense to you the first time you watched it? Yeah, I mean, I understood that. I Because I already knew... The premise. The premise in that. Now, I'm not sure if I would have gotten it had I not known. I think I would have. The one thing that kind of I don't get or I didn't really understand the need for was the whole car part when they were driving and she was talking about the at the very beginning yeah well again it was i think that served a couple things one is to show what kind of person al is right very much a woman i said there's a wolf howling he's like i'm much further than that guy and she's that's i'm afraid of right that plus as they're driving you listen to her talk she's talking about there's some lights out in the desert and al tries to say it's one thing she's like well i heard the, you know that's where they saw the first nuclear explosion i heard this she's some different rumors she's heard kind of let you know that out in the desert something's going on but they're keeping it a secret because again project quantum leap is a secret for the general public people don't know okay so they were driving the general towards public. it well he i'm sure Al was driving that way, and he picked her up, so he's just trying to take her someplace to get her tire fixed. Seemed like they were out in the middle of nowhere. In and they pretty much, I don't know what she was doing out there. Yeah, that's what I mean. It just it just seemed kind of, I don't know, almost, she, I don't know. It just seemed like she was kind of in, like, space gear or something to me. It just. But again, again, this was back in 89 when they did this. If I remember right, it was supposed to be in 1999 or 2000, something like that. One, the, so they the were year. trying to make it look futuristic. But they did actually, at this point, I don't think they ever said a year. Okay. So, yeah, they were trying to make it just sometime in the future, and that's why she had the glowing shoes, and she looked like she did. <laughs> Where's the hoverboard <laughs> with the flying cars? Yes. Okay. Because, yeah, they were trying to do, do like, a futuristic Okay, I, I get world. it now. So, okay. not knowing, you know, what the future would look like, like most of the time they get it wrong, and they... <laughs> 
Yeah, they didn't well, know we'd be quarantined in 2020, <laughs> right? Right, but uh, yeah, that's, so that's that's why they went for the looks. They did a lot of these things. Okay. And that again, you'll see in some of Sam's uh, Sam, some of Al's outfits later on a little outlandish, a little what the heck, and that's part of it. Is just they're trying to show this is the future. Okay. And that, that's what that was for. Okay, that makes a little more sense. It just kind of seemed a little bit, I don't, I would say off-putting to me. But, I mean, that's more my, I guess, my taste or my opinion. But Right. And again, it also could be just because you're a female and I'm a male. Maybe that's part of the perspective. I liked your shoes, uh, though. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's what that whole bit was for, though. So, as we go back through the story, uh, so Sam wakes up next to a pregnant woman. Right. He doesn't remember who he is. And when he looked in the mirror trying to shave, he saw a day. So, he knows what he looks like. But wait, you're, you're kind of jumping the gun, though, a little bit That's on what that. I do. Um, before even that, though, you know, he gets up and she's she's talking to him and he's seems to be just out of sorts. And she just seems to be getting up and doing the wifely thing. And he's in these boxer shorts and stuff. And he gets into the bathtub with the boxer shorts on. And she starts laughing at him because, like he's just a prankster and i that really sets the tone for who the person was that he leapt into and i think that that needs to be said right off the bat because as a person viewing the show you need to know who the person was that he leapt into and you know she kind of says oh tom or whatever and and then he starts panicking and that kind of stuff but i the fact that he's in his boxer shorts with the water running, you know. Because, you know, he was dazed and always going, he's right. again, not knowing where he's at, not remembering his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just, he was all out of sorts. And so, yeah, he was, because, again, he's seen, I saw the bottle of sperma shave, which he hadn't seen. He apparently, so he we know that he hasn't seen it in a long time. Because he, he was like, Burma shade, like, he's kind of confused why there's a, you know, and that's one thing that kind of set him off of being out of, so not, didn't set him off, but it helped push him down the road of being out of sorts as he's seen this older stuff. Right. But yeah, so that's when he gets in the shower, and he finally, you know, he starts to shave, and that's when he sees a face that's not his own. Yeah, because there's a mirror in the actual right, shaving mirror shower. Yeah. Right. And his wife, <laughs> his wife comes in, he's like, what do you see in the mirror? You and oh my god, how hideous! Yeah, she says she looks like a shriveled up prune, yeah. and and he's just worried about himself. And she's like, "You're supposed to say that I look beautiful, that I'm I'm pregnant and I'm beautiful." And he just missed the mark on that one, like most guys do. Though he has an excuse, I think. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. You gotta give him some grace on that one. And then when he's driving to work with uh, his buddy Bird Dog, that's where you find more about. How Tom's a practical joker. He's always making practical. And they keep referencing that throughout the show to let you know that. And that's why this whole amnesia thing seems to be a joke because that's the kind of thing that Tom Stratton would do. He would probably right. play a joke Saying like that. Saying that he can't fly. Right. No one believes him. No. They, they think he's a practical joker. Well, because... The, and also, he's supposed to be, like, the number one top... One of the top pilots. Right. And how can a top pilot all of a sudden not know how to fly? Well, that's what Bird Dog says. Yeah, they want to play the joke on Weird Ernie, as I talk about played by Bruce McGill. I love Bruce McGill. I think he's a great actor. I've seen a lot of different things. Uh, he shows up here a couple times. But, yeah, it's a Weird Ernie. 
And so they're listening to him lecture, and that's when Al first shows up, coming into Tux, and he's looking at Sam like, Sam should recognize him. Sam's like, oh, the hell you are? <laughs> and uh, let me see real quick. Actually, they're at the bar, so I jumped ahead a little bit. At the bar with his wife, he goes, and that's another thing to kind of let you know what something's going on, because he's sitting at the bar at the uh, table with his wife, and he, you know, motions to the jukebox, who that guy is. He's like, what's so-and-so? No, no, the guy in the suit. There's no one at Tux here. Well, even before that, he asks her to dance, and that's not something he normally does. Right. And uh, when they're dancing, she even says, wow, <laughs> like, you usually have two two left feet, and he's a smooth dancer, which means that Sam's knowledge is coming through, even though well, Sam's yeah. not really realizing yeah, Sam it. has his knowledge in quotes, it's just he doesn't remember... Right. What he knows and why he knows it. Right. So that was just... It's one of those cognitive... Uh, like, actual... Like a muscle memory type thing. Yep, exactly. Well, it's like later on when he's at the hospital. Again, jumping to the end of this area, this section. Uh, when he's at the hospital and the, she's in premature labor and he's talking to the doctor and he starts writing off stuff that hasn't been invented yet on how to stop it. And like, what kind of joke is this? And he gets to think, wait a minute. And he thinks about it slowly and realizes that, you know... Uh, if they get her drunk, basically, that'll stop it. Yeah, giving her some kind of alcohol yeah. levels. Yeah. And he realizes at that point that he does have some medical knowledge. Yep. Again, he can't remember from where or why, but he has some sort of medical knowledge. Exactly. But uh, going back to the jukebox, it's funny watching him when he actually walks. And then he, after he sits her down and he's like, you know, you don't, you need to sit this one out. And she's like. No, 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 I want to dance some more. He's like, no, you need to sit this one out. You're Doctor's pregnant. orders, yeah. One dance. Doctor's orders. <laughs> one song dance, one song sit. <laughs> and so then he goes over to the jukebox and starts kind of talking to himself, and people are kind of looking at him odd, but... Um, yeah, like Bird Dog says, I think he's part of the practical joke. He's what he tells me, you know, no one's going to buy that here. You, know, you might as well stop talking to yourself. Right. When he's actually talking to Al. And he doesn't even realize it at that point, that he's not talking... That and he, no one else can see him. I mean, well, he was wondering because his wife didn't, before he went over. That's why he asked Peggy, Peg, who was by the jukebox, and she couldn't see him. Right, but he still doesn't realize. Right, it, so he, he's still you know, not quite sure because that's not something that would happen. Right. And like I said I do like uh, as he walks out uh, when they're outside, and Al walks to the door. You hear that sound of the door opening and closing. Again, you'll find out later on they use that as a shortcut when they want to use the special effects of him walking through the door. He'll sometimes sound. I'm sorry. Sometimes Al will walk off camera, and you'll hear the door open and close without actually seeing him disappear. Or is he coming on screen, you hear the door open and close, and then Al will walk on screen to save money on special effects. I was going to say, that's a money saver right there. Yeah, that's what they're setting up now. Like when he started talking to Sam, you hear that tingling sound that you asked about. Right. And again, they're doing that to help let you, as a sound effect that they can use later on, for shortcuts to help let you know what's going on. Again, yeah, because especially back in 89, some of these costs, some of these effects would cost quite a bit. <laughs> Video so toaster. They, <laughs> so, yeah, so they, they try to do what they can to do some shorthands. Right. Which makes sense, especially it, for TV shows. Right. And again, going back to the, looking himself in the mirror and seeing himself or seeing Tom Stratton in the mirror, that's something they do every episode. Sam looks somewhere to see what he looks like at some point. Right. And so that's one thing that uh, the mirror gag, as it's called, 
because it's, it's interesting sometimes how they do it. Sometimes you can see Sam. Well, here Sam was actually looking in the mirror and seeing his other face. Sometimes they just show the mirror of just the face in there. It's interesting sometimes how they do these shots so they can not see the camera in the mirror. But like I said, we'll talk more about that as we go along to show some of these different scenes, the mirror gags they do. And then, yeah, then we get the point of view when Sam's sleeping and we see the camera zoom out back up into the sky, showing the clouds. It goes out a little bit and then it zooms back into them. Again, we're like, what the, kind of, what the heck's that about? And then we find out later on that's when they tried retrieving them for the first time. Right. And it didn't go through for some reason. And we find out later on in that show it's because he had told... Well, see, that's what Sam... I'm sorry, Al said was it maybe because he told somebody. But another theory is, is that they tried pulling him back, but God, fate, time, whatever, as it's referred to, didn't want him to leave yet. Because he hadn't done what he needed to do. That's true. If he would have left then, Tom would have went to Mach 2. It would have exploded. Mach 3. Or the X2 plane. When he hit Mach 3, he would have exploded. He would have died. Peg would have went premature labor. And her and the baby would have died. Right. Stillborn. So something, whatever's controlling Sam, which, again, we'll talk throughout the show. And we'll get some sort of answer later on in the, in the series. And then quotes. Somewhat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, stopped him from leaving and brought him back so he could do what he needs to do. That's true. So that kind of... It could be because he tried telling people... But again, no one believed him when he told him, though. Right. Well, I think... I think his wife was kind of on to him because remember when they're on at that barbecue? Right. And she they kissed each other. Now, if, if you've been married for... I think that was a little bit after that, though, wasn't it? Well, well, she the, told her the night of the dance. Right. When they were driving home. And that night is when they... I'm trying to think. Wasn't the barbecue after? I can't remember. I think the barbecue was after that. But that was a good point. I noticed that, too. That, yeah, when she kissed him, as he was going back outside, you could tell on her face that something was different. Yeah, because she was like that... It was almost like she felt like she was kissing somebody else mm-hmm. or... It didn't have that same feeling of kissing her husband. Right. Usually you know when she I mean? kisses Tom, she sees fireworks and all right. that. Right. Makes her weak in the knees or whatever. It just didn't feel right. Feel quite right. Yeah. Right. And that's enough. So I don't think she knew what it was, but something. She knew fell something off. was off. Yes. And it wasn't the first time either. I don't think that she felt something was off. Well, he was been acting differently. Right. Like I say he acts dance with her as they were leaving the uh, the bar. You know, she was commenting how, you know, normally you're talking, you know, shop with all the friends. Right. This time you're just out there silently and listen to everybody. And being pregnant and hormonal doesn't help either. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, she, she was noticing there was something off. But she, again, someone from 30 years in the future let back into your husband's not going to be the first thing you think of. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> he's no. off or there's a problem with him or something. Not right. He's possessed by another person. Right, exactly. Uh, and I do like say so Sam woke back up and and I think that's part of why he remembered a little bit more because he tried they tried to retrieve him God fate time whatever as we refer to him as pulled him back into the body and we did so I think some of the memories kind of came back with him right kind of jogged a little bit yeah. more and what do you remember he had you know his had a sister named Katie he lived on a farm with his mom and dad yeah that one part that's the part where I was like yeah. yay. <laughs> 
Uh, even though his dad died in 1974, but currently they're in 1956. That's also, again, this was before he talked to Al, so he was like, what the, that doesn't quite make sense, and that's why he tried to call his dad, but he couldn't remember his dad's name. Right. remember his last name. Didn't know, didn't remember the whole phone number. So again, that kind of frustrated him. And the next day, he talked with Sam, I'm sorry, Al, and got some more information from him. Again, not enough to know who he is yet, but explain to him he's part of a time experiment that I guess is one a little caca. A little <laughs> caca? <laughs> that cracks me up every time I hear that. Uh, let me see real quick. And that's, that's when our five-year-old went, oh, he said caca. You're not yeah. supposed to say that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's when we find out that the gist of the show that whatever year Sam's in, whatever body Sam's in, People see Sam as who he's supposed to be. Al's the only one that can see him for who he really is. Right. I'm sorry, Al is the only one that can see Sam for who he really is. And also in the future, which again, future episodes, we'll see something about this. The people in the future see whoever's in Sam's body as Sam. So, and again, we'll get to that many years in the future. We'll talk more about that whole mess, but... But then, yeah, we find out that Tom Stratton was supposed to have died. Trying to break Mach 3. And like that, he's like, yeah, experienced Air Force pilot died trying to break Mach 3. All you got to do to make it out of here is break Mach 3 and live. Oh, easy peasy. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, your Especially next... to somebody who doesn't know how to fly. Right. Yeah, Sam's got a lot of doctorates. He's very smart, but flying is one thing he's never done. <laughs> Uh, and then the, the next shots of him getting him home is sitting on atomic bomb exploding, freezing the brain until all electric, electric activity ceases. And like Sam's like, that's called death. <laughs> <laughs> or he can just live out his life as Tom Stratton and he'll be back home in 40 years. Like Al's like, you could possibly be the oldest living man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we find out more about Al that Al was an ex astronaut and can help him fly the plane. And then I mentioned that Peggy made him promise something, but she was like, you got to promise me something. Well, I, I can't tell you right now. I'll tell you tomorrow. And we find out when she's in the hospital that she promised, made him promise not you know, to be able to make it home safe. Which is kind of a loaded promise, especially for an airport or an air testing pilot. Right. And, you know, I have to, I have to say this, you know, watching that episode and thinking as a woman, watching the women there... It was kind of, I couldn't do it. You know, hearing hearing all the explosions and... It was a different time, and yeah, and they were, they were married to the men. They, were, they, they went into it understanding. Yeah, I know but... they did, but I mean, how nerve-wracking is it? And it was weird seeing... It was kind of, it was almost, it was... I thought of my grandma, to be honest with you, because my, my grandfather was in the Air Force. Right. And my grandmother... Married my grandfather when she was in eighth grade. I mean, they were young. Yeah, well, getting back then. That back was the then, norm. yeah, and it was the fifties, you know. And um, he went to Okinawa, Japan, and the whole nine yards, and she stayed back and stuff. But I was just thinking, you know, seeing all those ladies when they were in the kitchen together and washing and doing their hair, and I don't know, it just seemed like a, not like a women's club or anything like that, but. I know that they all supported each other during that time frame and stuff. Right. But there was like three pregnant women, and it, it, it was just, 
such a different time frame, but just thinking about knowing that every day your husband or fiance or boyfriend or whoever was suited up to get into a plane and could potentially not come home every day. I mean, and really policemen and all that do that anyways, you know, it's just, I don't know. That just, that was just something that ran through my mind. And I, when you, when you see the, the plates and stuff rattle and, it, it, they did a good job putting that type of thought in my head right. with some of the things they did in the show. Well, you, you could see from her face every time you'd hear the sonic boom or anything like that, you see on her face she's like worried because again, they don't really know who who is flying that day. Right. Necessarily, they don't know who's going to, you know who's testing something so when they hear an explosion or a boom they all run out yeah they all who, who, is, who is it yeah so it's a real quick uh, Peggy Stratton the wife was played by uh, Jennifer Runyon uh, she was an actress she played She, I think she's not mistaken she was in Charles in Charge uh, quite a bit she was, did a lot of shows back in the 80s uh, she was oh in Ghostbusters uh huh you've seen Ghostbusters the very beginning yeah it was the first one uh, where uh, uh, Vickman is doing that science experiment with the guy and the girl, trying to see that ESP mm-hmm. and reading the cards. He kept giving her all the right, getting her so she had the right answers. That was her. Oh, okay, cool. But yeah, I just want to bring her up. Yeah, she was a great actress at the time, Jennifer Runyon. Uh, she just reminded me a little bit of the mom <laughs> from Back to the Future for some reason. Uh, I can see that a little bit, I guess. His dad, John Beckett, was played by Newell Alexander. Uh, like I talked about, Weird Ernie was played by Bruce McGill. And I was trying to see who played the the mirror image of Tom Stratton. But I'm not seeing that. There it is. Okay, it was Lane Beamer was the face in the mirror as Tom Stratton. Hmm. Just to throw that out there. And again, Lane Beamer, he was been... He was in quite a few TV show movies, TV shows. He showed up in Home Improvement, a series called Jenny. He was in an episode of Frasier. So he was one of those bit players that show up wherever they needed him. But like I say we'll get more about the mirrors later on in the episode. We'll talk more about that because some of those get interesting. Okay, and going to IMDBV, uh, the trivia. It said this episode takes place at Stalin's Gate, New Mexico in 1995. Okay, so here it tells us the... It starts out in 1995, is where Al was at. And on Edwards Air Force Base in Blockfield, California. So I wonder if there's actually a Blockfield, California. And through the powers of editing and Google, I'm looking, and I can't find anything about a Blockfield, California anywhere. So I don't know if maybe that's just a, a local name, the people that in the no-no call it that, or if it's something they made up for the show. Because like every place it talks about it talks it calls a block field, but yeah, I'm not finding anything as far as a block field, California. So well, I guess not then. I'm going with my original statement that it was probably just made up for the show. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, and then when he's ready, he's taken off to fly the plane. I like how uh, when uh, Weird Ernie and the other doctors looking over Sam's answers on the questionnaire, yeah. like what they're like mini skirts, <laughs> mini skirts, pantyhose, like what the heck. <laughs> 
Uh, he got expelled from college one time for streaking. They're confused by all these answers. And Edward Ernie gets kind of upset. And he's like, you know, they're all practical jokers. You know, they're, they're all kidding around all the time. And the other doctor's like, oh, maybe they have, you know. That's what they have to do to survive, basically. Uh, let me see. I'm just looking through here. I like when he, he the plane explodes. He lands on the ground. He's all upset that he's still in 1956. Like, no, I'm still here. What? Yeah, it was kind of like he was expecting just. Well, you know, we we need to talk about how Al actually walked him through flying the okay. plane. And you can't you can't really leave that out. I mean, he he went into the cockpit and there's no Al at first. And he's like, Al, where are you? Al, where are you? I mean... It's a plane. They drop the X-2, and it starts to, you know, not fly properly because Sam doesn't know what to do. He has no one there to help him. He's freaking out, and to be honest with you, I was kind of wondering when he was going to show up. I was like, <laughs> okay. And then I was kind of wondering how they were going to do it because there was not really room for any other person in that one little single single cockpit. But again, you didn't need and, room for anyone else, because again... Right, I know he's a hologram, but I wasn't sure how they were going to play it out. Right. So I thought it was kind of cool that, you know, it, it kind of Sam was sitting on... I mean, not, yeah, no, Al was kind of almost like sitting on Sam's lap virtually almost and actually sitting through him and yeah inside. sitting through him. Well, i know but al was inside sam which could be a totally different yeah let's podcast. not yeah let's not go there but i do like he's like follow my hand he grabs yeah. the stick and his hand goes through the stick and he pulls it back yeah and that was really cool and he showed him how to do the switches and you know i thought it was really neat and i liked that even though uh, al was telling him to stop sam kind of kept pushing to go to the Mach 3. I don't know if you noticed oh, that. Yeah. No, yeah. Is that, is that Al's telling them because they that's when they figured out that the fuel's heating up and that's why the planes are exploding. Right. Is because going that fast, the fuel lines aren't well protected apparently. Right. The fuel line's heating up and that's what causes the explosion. Right. And Al's telling you, know, you need to back off you know, if there's another way or whatever. And, and Sam, Sam just like, keeps no, going. I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> And so it, that kind of gave uh, Tom the notoriety that he was looking for to hit that Mach 3, right. which is what he needed, which Sam thought he needed to get out of that, that position of, right. le- you know, to leap. And again, this one we'll talk about as we go along. I've heard some people complain about the show that Al's and Ziggy's predictions of what he needs to do. They're like, well, yeah, they, sometimes they'll complain about how the prediction didn't come out right or something like that. Again, they don't know for sure. No one's sitting there. There's no one with a map saying, okay, this is what he needs to do. They're guessing. Sam could have punched out before hitting Mach 3, lived, saved Peggy the child, and maybe still still left. Right. Breaking Mach 3 may have not had nothing to do with it. Right. It's just, we don't know if Tom needed to survive or if Peggy the daughter needed to survive. Right. Because in the original history, all three of them died. Mm Mm-hmm. And if... With the plane exploding, that's why Peggy went to premature labor and she and the baby lost their life. Uh-huh. I'm just going to work those in my head as I talk about it. But So Sam was there to help stop the premature labor. Right. So, I mean, if, theoretically, if Sam didn't go up and fly that day, she wouldn't have premature labor. And that may have done it also. We don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. It's God, fate, time, whatever that's controlling things, the only one that knows what he actually needs to do. Right. I also liked 
it was neat to see how Sam related to the older kid. Their son. Their, their his quote-unquote well, son. Tom um, and Peggy's son. Tom and Peggy's son. Um, and also in the baseball episode, how you see a little glimpse of how the dad responded to Sam as a little boy. Right. I almost think that Sam had the same re- reaction. I think Sam kind of used his dad I don't as know, a role model. As a role model. Well, that's, I mean, it depends on when you're growing up. I mean, you, you got, you know, all kinds of dads. You got good dads, you've got horrible dads. I mean, right. anyone that knows me personally knows I had a horrible stepdad. Right. My real dad left where I was born. Right. So, I mean, if you have a good role model growing up, you can take lessons from him and right. know how to be a better person. Right. But if you have a horrible dad, a lot of those people go one of two ways. Either they, they learn lessons from that dad and they become a jerk, a drunk, or whatever their dad was. Or, like myself tries to be, I try to be the exact the opposite of my stepdad. Right. Because I knew what a jerk he was and what a bunch of, you know, of a... And you'd be a good father be, 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 and a great dad. He was. Right. I, you know, I tried to do everything he didn't do or try to be the opposite of him mm-hmm. to be, you know, a good dad to my kids. So, I right. mean, there's... So, it helped, I think, a lot with uh, Sam having a good, loving father. Right. And again, we'll see more about his dad in the future episodes. Yeah, and I, and I was just assuming because I only got to see a little tiny peek, but it seemed like he was loving to him in that little window that I saw. Right. Um, and but just the way that he talked to him, the way he related playing baseball mm-hmm. with him, and and that kind of stuff. Um, I wish they would have explained the whole him getting hit by a bus thing. Yeah, so they mentioned briefly that apparently Tom's son was in, uh, hit by a bus or something. That really annoyed me. I wanted and to know ever, more about that. Like Ever since, Tom wasn't treating him quite the same. Yeah, he was like, what was that all about? And, and, and that's another thing that kind of set Peggy off. I didn't set her off, but it made her think that something was going on is because, you know, all of a sudden Tom is more affectionate and more attentive to their son when he right. hasn't been for a little while. So that's another thing. That, right. And I think that's part of what it was there for. Not necessarily the accident doesn't matter to us. It's just the fact that that's letting us know that Sam is acting different than Tom was acting. So my question to you is this, though, and it's something I, I don't know, and maybe I'll learn in future episodes, what is this Tom guy learning in this other state of being that he's in right now, is he learning any lessons? Is he is he learning to be a better father? I mean, hopefully, because it would really suck if, you know, Sam is being this great husband and not drinking as much and he's doing this, he's dancing right. better and being this more attentive father and then he limps out, and then this Tom guy comes back, and now he's talking more about planes and doesn't want to dance with his wife anymore and drinking more beer. And and I'm sure I'm to say this without spoiling much, but we find out, the best we find out in the show, that when they're in the future, I guess I'll say it, if you don't want to hear, skip forward a minute or two, but in the future, they're, they're kept in the accelerator in the waiting room, and they're not allowed out. They can't see what the future looks like. And they're not learning any lessons. They're basically there just because they had to go somewhere. When so Stanford they're in a holding body. pen, pretty much. Yes, they're in a holding pen. Uh, they have a psychiatrist and a doctor look over make sure they're doing okay. And then Al pops in the grill to find out 
who they are, where they're at, what's going on in their life, so they can look in records and find out. So they pretty much go back normal. So, yeah, and we'll find out, we'll talk about later on, I'm sure, that, yeah. So right now, and that's a very good example, for these couple of days, week, whatever they out, uh, Sam's here, all of a sudden Tom is attentive, he's, you know, paying more attention to the kid, the wife. Once Sam leaps out, Tom's going to leap right back in, and things are going back to the way they were. That just kind of blows. So, I mean, like, but yeah, I mean, unfortunately, yeah, we haven't seen anything in the show that says anything different. So, and that's another thing that will be brought up later. I mean, this one here, imagine it from Tom's perspective, he's in bed one day, he wakes up with a totally different look. You know, he's wearing a white schmock, whatever he's wearing, white clothes, which we'll see in future episodes, what Sam's wearing at the time. Uh, He's got these doctors coming and checking on him, psychiatrists. So it's almost like he's been abducted by aliens. Yes. And again, we'll find more about that. We'll hear more about that in the future also. But yeah. So that's going to mess with his head anyways. So now he's going to be all screwed up. All of a sudden, he's going to leap back to his own time. And he's going to, you know, when he comes back. His wife's going to have a baby. Yeah. He's going to be in the hospital room, a ball flying at him. His wife. Wow. His, his wife's, wife. his wife's there with the baby. And he's not going to remember any of yeah. it. And, and he's hit lock three. For hit lock three. He had the knowledge to save his wife. Wow. And yeah, so it does... Ruin And some... again, if you think about it too much, you wonder, oh, what's it doing in these people's lives? And sometimes people are better for it. And they don't touch on it a whole lot in other episodes about what happens afterwards. But there are some of uh, the, the books I referred to earlier, the novels. Uh-huh. They kind of refer to some of these things. That's, there's some repercussions. There's, there's two... One of the comics I know of offhand... And one of the novels actually is a sequel to episodes. Wow. So and those are pretty good, too. But, hmm. but yeah, no, it is history. If you think about it, yeah, that for a short period of time, this person's acting differently. And then all of a sudden, this person comes back, and they've done things that they normally wouldn't do, couldn't be able to do. And people, you know, Tom's broke Mach 3. He's got a daughter. He helped actually... And then all of a sudden now Peg's going to put two and two together when she was sitting in the car. I'm not the I'm not your Tom. And then right. she's going to be like, hey, bring back that <laughs> other Tom. I want him back. Yeah. So, yeah, we know. I don't think we ever hear from Peggy again. In right. Any, well, no. I know. But I'm well, just saying. I know some of the episodes we or Oh. And some of the other books and comics, we do touch back on some of these episodes. <laughs> I don't think Peggy ever shows back up in anywhere. Poor Peg. But, uh. Yeah. And she realizes that she married the asshole version of Tom. <laughs> oh, excuse my French. This is supposed to be a family-friendly show. Sorry. And I guess, actually, he's not going to come back to having a daughter yet because they stopped the labor, so... Yeah, But she'll be true. in the hospital, and he's going to have a ball flying at him when he returns, so he may get smacked in the face. Maybe he deserves it. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe that'll knock some sense into him or something. But that's in the... We'll find later on that, you know... Or he goes and beats the kid. <laughs> and we'll talk about this more later on. I'm sure that, you know, yeah, that's when these people return to their own lives. In fact, in the first or second season, we actually will see somebody after uh, Sam Spoiler, leaves out. sweetie. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. After oh. Sam leaves out, we will see somebody and what, what happens kind of a little bit. And just for the record, uh, just for listeners that are, are going to follow this, I have decided that... I'm one of those people who don't mind spoilers and will actually Google things just to protect myself so I know what's going on. But I have decided to watch these as if they were coming out on TV and um, 
watch them without trying to spoil anything. <laughs> and if I have a question and it is going to be something that's going to have further uh, repercussions? repercussions or any knowledge that will affect any other episodes, um, he is not allowed to tell me any information. I'm trying. I don't know how long it's going to last. I might give up by like the third episode. I can't guarantee it's going to... He's laughing so hard right now because he knows me so well. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be like, nope, can't do this. I, I have a feeling it's going to happen. So we'll listen, listening. You guys write in. Yeah, try to be a little spoilerific if you can. Keeping mind. Yeah, so I'll probably be reading the emails and I can, I can censor what she doesn't need to see. Yeah. But we'll see how how it's far I else, get. I, I have a we'll feeling see. this is not going to last. But we'll see. I'm trying to be good. <laughs> I, we were talking about in the car, and I, I, I'm I'm trying my hardest to be good, just so I can be as pure as ever when it comes to the podcasting. So this way, the there's somebody out there that has a very clear, clean. A fresh, fresh, a fresh view, yeah, on it for the for you guys. This way, you know, it it maybe you guys are remember, you know, like wow, I can't, I never saw it that way, or right. you know, I remember feeling that way when I first saw it. Yeah. Just be, for the fun of it, I'm trying to be your guinea pig, I guess you could say. But, but another thing we find out in this show is that apparently animals, at least dogs, oh, can yeah. sense or see. Both Al and Sam. Oh, see, I didn't know they could see Al. Well, that's why the dog was barking at Sam, because that's not his owner. And Sam's trying to get him quiet down, but he's like, look, get him to stare and trying to stare him down. The dog's still barking at him. And he doesn't stop barking until Al is behind him telling the dog to quiet down. Oh, I didn't catch that. I just thought it was Sam. No, that's why the dog finally stops, and Sam turns, and Al's standing there. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sam Al's the one that got him to quiet down. Oh, okay. So find out that, yeah, dogs, at least at this point sees both Al and Sam. That's kind of cool. And we'll find out other stuff in the future, but that's for the future. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on this episode? Um, let me think. You know, something we haven't covered yet that you want to talk more about? Oh, or? I, I asked you whether or not that the Sam actor guy was a sex symbol in that time frame. And again, I I didn't think he was. I was just looking at Peg, but... <laughs> Well, because I, I noticed that, you know, there was a couple of times where his shirt was off and I was just kind of wondering because I don't find him that attractive in, you know, but it's a, the a, 80s, early 90s. Right. But I was just wondering if, like, people thought of him as a sex symbol. I think or, he was supposed to be uh-huh. an attractive guy. Right. Uh, again, I'm a guy, so I can't really judge him, but I didn't think he was a bad looking guy. But uh-huh. what do I know? But I was just wondering if, like, anything on the interwebs or anything yeah, like I that. Yeah, I can look up and see. Yeah, if there's any female listeners out there, what do you guys think? Did you guys... At that time frame, It's my age that yeah. watched this back then. Did you find Sam? Attractive. Sorry. Did you find... Uh, Al... No. What does uh, My he... mind just turned off. Uh, Sam Beckett, hot. <laughs> uh, yeah, my mind just turned off all of a sudden. But, yeah, did you find him hot? Was he uh, sexable to you guys? I Again, I don't... Again, they did show him quite a bit. Scott Bakula, that's who I'm trying to think of. And they did show him, you know, in this episode without a shirt several times. Usually, though, it's like he was getting bad of bad. So, yeah, you know, they didn't wear shirts. So. Right. Uh, a couple of questions you had when we watched this. We were talking. Uh, you want to know if you could watch episodic episodes. Right. Or if you need to follow the whole thing. And like I was telling you, I think 
my personal thoughts is you can watch individual episodes and enjoy them for what they are. But to me, if you watch it from like you are now, from the beginning to the very end, it's going to make more sense and you're going to get a lot more out of it. You're going to feel a lot of the emotional heartstrings later on when things happen. When Sam dies, or no, I'm just, uh, I'm just <laughs> ha, ha, funny. Yeah, no, when things happen later in the in the seasons, in different seasons, things will happen, and following Sam's journey, if you will, and Al's journey through this this process, things will happen that'll make you, you feel more than if you just tuned in for that one episode. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that's feel bad, but whatever. So if you have an emotional stake to these characters, you're watching it, you'll feel more for anything. Great. <laughs> and uh, and then the other comment you had about their, their clothing they were wearing that'd be they had to see their breath they were wearing like summer clothing oh I was complaining about yeah. that yeah so I noticed that it looked like it was summertime but yet well so it's supposed to be in September so I mean it's that in California okay. you live in California you know what it's like here Right. September, it could be cold, it could be hot. But you could see... It's, yeah, usually cooling down period. But you're not going to see your breath blowing right. in the air. And the little boy, when he was outside playing baseball with himself, playing catch or whatever, when he was breathing, he had on like this little, little sweater vest and like a cardigan. And he was blowing like he was talking or whatever and like... His breath, of like his air from his breathing or whatever, you could see air. So I couldn't really notice that because I'm half blind. Well, but but I'm like I would not send my kid outside in a little tiny cardigan when you could see your breath and that, and then turn around and then like in the next scene you have like the wives in the in the kitchen in like summertime clothes, and then the next scene there's people in in like short sleeve shirts, but yet. Little Timmy or whatever his name is is in a cardigan with his breath being shown like. Well, again, it, again, it's supposed to be September in California, so it's not supposed to be that cold out. I'm not sure where it was actually filmed or what time of the year it was actually filmed. And remember, when we watched this back in 1989, it was on a lot smaller screen than what we watched it on. So a lot of these, and you're going to notice that a lot. There's going to be a lot of things that's going to pop up that they probably noticed, but like, you know what? It's on a 20 inch screen. No one's going to notice that. No one's going to care. Not knowing that 30, 40 years later, we're going to be sitting here podcasting about it. Right. And watching on a 55, 60-inch screen on high def and, you know. So they didn't think about all that back when this was recorded. So a lot of things that they made is, let's do a second take. Let's, you know, warm them up or something. Yeah, no one's going to notice that. <laughs> and also, I, went, I wanted to point out, you were making um, a big snuff about the music being different on the DVDs and stuff. You haven't mentioned that yet. Did you want to explain that? And so, yeah, if you watch, we watched this, we started to watch it on the NBC network. So if you want to watch this on NBC, it's on their app, or if you go to their website, you can watch it for free. I've also bought the Blu-rays. Uh, earlier, there were some uh, DVD sets. So what happened is some of the music they originally aired, when they went back for uh, syndication and they put it on DVD, they didn't have the rights to all the music. So some of the songs got changed somewhere along the way. So if you watch it in, re- in a syndication or if you have the original DVDs, a lot of the, some of the songs are different in there. The Blu-ray, they were working out and they've actually got the original songs back into the episodes. Where if you watch it on TV or the DVDs, you may miss some of that. 
So yeah, I definitely recommend watching this on the Blu-ray. Uh, they've got the entire series out. Yeah, so you can also pick up the DVDs, but the DVDs, my understanding, is has the uh, the altered music in it. So the Blu-ray has the original yes, music? Yes, the, the Blu-ray, the newer release of it has, they were able to get a hold of the original music, the rights or whatever, and the, they put the original music back into it. And the DVD has the the second the altered, yes. Has different music. Some of the some of the not all of them, but some of the episodes. There's Very songs by professional performers like Elvis and stuff, and sometimes they have to pull some of those songs out because of the rights issues. That's crazy. But yeah, no, so we did watch this on Blu-ray at first, then we went back and watched it as a second time on NBC, uh, just to refresh ourselves on it, and so I can take some more notes on it. But yeah, I definitely recommend the Blu-ray. You know, I got mine at Walmart. You can probably get almost any you know, Walmart, Target, Best Buy. Once the quarantine's done. Well, 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 you were online. I know, you got but... the internet. Bah humbug. <laughs> anyway, any other thoughts on um, that first episode, Genesis of Quantum Leap? Not that I can think of. I, I thought it was a really good episode. Um, it definitely, as a new person going in, it it was neat. I, I actually enjoyed... The last thing I do want to say is... I liked that he leapt for the third time. So it kind of left you going, ooh, he did it again. And then now you got to wait for the next episode. Right. That's where they end every episode, usually. There are exceptions here and there. But usually each episode ends with him leaping and leaping into a new body. And eventually he'll start ending with, an, oh, boy. Because in the middle, middle, middle of a predicament or a situation or whatever. Uh-huh. So, yeah, and it's interesting to see where he leaps into. And another comment on that, if you watch this on TV, and I think the original DVDs, they didn't have them in the same order. So they changed them the ending. So if you watch it on TV, sometimes the endings are altered, or sometimes he may leap into one, and the next steps of the show may not be the continuation of that. Oh, wow. So, yeah, the, where the Blu-ray should have everything lined up the way it's supposed to be. And we were laughing at the, when we watched on NBC, how the commercials were. Yeah, Yeah, originally this aired on TV, so there are spots for commercials. There are spots laid out where it ends, it fades out, and it fades back in. Perfect spot to pet a commercial. NBC pets them a minute before that, or... 20 seconds, (laughs) 10 seconds. (laughs) So you could be like, commercial, and it'd be right in the middle of a scene... And then they'd cut back in, they'd say two lines, and then it would fade out for a commercial. It's like, what were they yeah, thinking? Yeah, that's a little annoying. And the same way when you watch it on TV, I noticed, because I was watching it on, uh, there was a couple channels I was playing on for a while that I'd watch them during the day when I was working swing last year. And it'd be the same way. They'd play a commercial in the wrong, the wrong spot in quotes, and then it would fade out and fade back in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the wrong spot. I guess you just... It's timing-wise. Yeah, I think it's probably it the timing is different now than it was back then. Probably. But if you watch on the Blu-ray, yeah, you, you don't have any of the commercials, so it fades out for commercial, fades back into the show. Right. It's a little better. Again, I like watching on the Blu-ray better. Yeah, I, I would agree It's a much better experience. Yes, I agree. And one more thing I do want to note, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I actually commented on it. The title of this episode is called Genesis, which I think is a good title for it because it's the genesis of the show. It's the start of the show. The Genesis, the first book of the Bible, uh, and Genesis, you know, it's a start, and this is the start of the show. So I think it was a, because sometimes you'll just call this first episode the pilot, or, but this, I thought Genesis was a very good name for what they were doing here. No, I would agree. That's actually pretty. Especially as they kept referring to either God, fate, time, whatever's causing him to leap. 
right. since it's a biblical reference. I, I think it's a nice little touch. Now, you didn't mention the string thing at all yet. Did you want to talk about that? Well, yeah, and I talked about that in the synopsis. But, uh, again, we'll get more of this in future episodes also. But basically, when Al's describing to Sam his theory on time travel, uh, and again, I, earlier I played the bit where Al's talking about that. Right. But he says, you know, you take a string, that's your life. You, you tie the ends together, your life becomes a loop. You take that tight string, you put it in your ball in the palm of your hand, and just, you know, curl it there, and bits of the string will overlap with one another, and that's how you can time travel. Because your life is interconnected in different places, so you can go from one point, and that's why Sam's able to leap with his own lifetime, with exceptions always, but <laughs> during the show, Sam's able to leap with his own life, because that's how quantum leaping works. He's able to leap with his own lifetime. So, for instance, if Al had been the one going the accelerator to begin with, he could have gone to an earlier period of time because Al's older than Sam. Okay. So, for instance, okay, that makes a little bit more sense to me because I wasn't, I didn't understand that. So, since I was born in 77, I could go from 77 to 2020. November the 22nd, 1977, Uh up until whenever. Right. Up until now. Right. And you would do 69 through up until December 24th, 1969, up until... Now. Whenever, yeah. Right, okay. Okay, I get it. Uh, or up until the point you die. Right, or, well... Yeah. Again, you're not dead at that point. You're time traveling, so... Right, right, right. So, in theory, the... And I think the, the earliest time we see him go to is the mid-80s. Could, but would he go up until his death, or only up until how, how when, old he is? When did he die? I don't know. Exactly. So I, th- I think he could only go up to, again, they never covered this in the show, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. But I would think he could only go up till 1995, 96, whatever year he, he's actually in. Okay. Is the farthest he could go. Just up until what he's lived. Right. He couldn't go, he couldn't travel to the future with this. Okay. Only in the past. Okay. Because, yeah, because at this point, he may die and the accelerator may explode tomorrow. Right. So you wouldn't have anything to go into the future. So, yeah, you could only go up to the present time. Again, they don't really cover that very much. They just say if it's within your own lifetime. But that but, is your life yeah. time. But what is considered your lifetime, though, is is your lifetime considered from birth till death? Or is that just... Do you see what I'm saying? Right, but... And again, it depends on... Hey, they haven't really touched on the show, so this is just us talking at this point. Right, really I know, it's hypothetically, but, but I wonder what the listeners would think. And I guess part of it depends on if you believe in there's a set life for you. Right. You, you're born on this day, and you're going to die on this day, this way, no matter what. Well, if, I mean, well, if, it, uh, it, I mean, if you... do we have control if, over our future? Well, if, but if, you, if, if you're going through the God way, right. God knows the day you're going to die. Right. So... Well, it reminds me of a conversation I have with a friend of mine on Facebook about, again, this is being recorded during the whole uh, lockdown, the COVID-19 situation. Right. And I had a friend that says that, you know, she's not, she doesn't worry about it. She wants to go out anyways. That, you know, she gets sick and dies. That's God's will. Who's this? A uh, friend I got, I got used to years ago, Lorraine and her daughter okay. both okay. Made, made similar comments that, you know. Okay. That's God's will. You know, you're, you're going to die when you die. And I'm like, well, just because... If you if you do believe in a God, if you do believe that He has a set time for you to die, doesn't mean you can't make that happen earlier. Right. And that's why again, if you believe in a God, God gives man the knowledge to come up with cures to be Girl, smart enough to stay in the house. 
Right. Instead of going out. I told her, you know, what if I pick up a gun and, and shoot myself in the head? According to you, if this isn't my day to die, I can shoot myself in the head and survive no problem. That doesn't happen, you know. So it's... So again, it depends if you believe in free will or if you believe that your life is predetermined. So yeah, at that point, it's just... A, again, then the show never really touches on... That part. The future. Right, okay. All it deals with is Sam's past. So it's something that... We, again, we can bring that up in the future if you want to talk more about that, but... I yeah, the curious. show. Yeah, no, it's an interesting thought. I never really thought about. Again, what I do think about is I always just assume it's up until present time. Present time. Because again, unless you believe that your life is set out, and Sam will return home one day and die ten years down the road. At that point, right now, he's traveling through time. His his body is in the present, but who knows when the body may have something happen to him? Maybe someone break in and shoot him in the head. Maybe his body will break down from the stress. We don't know how long his future's going to be. So even if they were to cover it, like I said, I'm not mistaken, the latest or the earliest, they, closest to our present time they got to, like in the mid-80s. And what happens if someone, it, what happens if the host body dies? It's a very good question. And you're not going to tell me, are we'll you? Because that's see. part of the show. We'll have to wait and see. Bah Again, there's different theories. Some I'm probably going to have to say that a lot, aren't I? Bah humbug. Because that is going to be answered in like, the 20th episode down the line or something. People have talked have about wait. this, and, and some believe that if Sam dies, well, in the body, that's what a lot of times they've talked about, which we'll get, we'll get into later on, that if Sam dies in the body, he dies. Some believe that maybe he would leap out the last second. Again, we'll cover this more in the future. Or what if the person that's... What if... Okay. I'm sorry, people. What if... Tom, I'm just right. going to use Tom as an example, were to have like a heart attack in the holding chamber. In the waiting room. In the waiting room. Even though there's doctors and psycho people there. Could that, has that happened in an episode? You're not going to tell me, are you? No, Tom did not have a heart attack in the waiting room. Oh, Bahama. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think the body in the waiting room ever died. But things happen, so again, I don't want to go into more detail. Huh. Okay. Well, I mean, at we'll least find out. Some of this at stuff, least I'm thinking and yeah. kind of in a. You gotta think fourth dimensionally, as Doc Brown says in Back to the Future. Oh boy. <laughs> You're not thinking fourth dimensionally. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, but anyways, any other thoughts on this? No, I think my brain is about fried at this point. It's what. Real time, it's it's three thirty, almost three twenty in the morning. Yeah. From we're recording this, so it's a perfect time. There's no one outside mowing. Uh, the kids are down and out for the most part, so it's a great time to record around here. I try to record sometimes in the day, and as I start to record, the neighbor starts up the lawnmower or motorcycles are driving by. So I like recording night better. Yeah. Because it's quieter. Yep. <laughs> and our kids are asleep. And now we don't have our dog in the backyard barking every so often. Yeah. Have to record around a dog. Okay, let me pause. Shut up, Hyper. Okay, let me go back in. Record now. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our next segment. But unlike the NBC app, we're going to put commercials in the. No, we're just kidding. Though that's kind of annoying, isn't it? Very much so, especially when you're into the show and then it just drops for a second and comes right back. Yeah, but we're not actually going to do that, just kind of joking around. Let's do some real stuff. Here comes the promos. Right on. 
Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. Hey there, your old friend Aaron Moss here. You know, Brotherhead. If you listen to any of my shows, you'll know that I love the 80s. And I also love podcasting. So, I decided to combine the two and start a new podcast about, yep, the 80s. But I'm not alone on this journey. Nope. Just like a few other new podcasts on the Headcast Network, I have decided to join in and be his Lady J to his Flint, his Barbie to his Ken, his Leia to his Han, or as some of you know me, as his wife, Michelle. While I'm a bit younger, I still am a huge fan of the 80s. Needless to say, many things from the 80s will be brought up for discussion. So why don't you kick back, drink some Ecto Cooler, and join us as we take a retrospect of the 80s. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to our other awesome shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, our weekly pop culture podcast. Couch Potato Theater, our podcast celebrating our favorite movies. Time Warp, the Fandom Flashback podcast discussing a whole year in movies. The End Zone, our NFL podcast. Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. The Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville podcast. Hair Metal, the 1980s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our Doctor Who podcast. Lethal Mullet, a 1980s action film podcast. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast. And our newest show, Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast. A deep dive into the final frontier with host Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. You can enjoy all of these great Fandom Podcast Network shows on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. The FPNet can also be found on the Podbean app. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can also email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Welcome back from the break. Now for our next segment, What's on Sam's Playlist? This will be a section where Michelle and I will be looking up the top songs for the time period that Sam leapt into. This is per Wikipedia, the Billboard Top 100. So each month we'll be looking at the, the time period that Sam leapt into, either the month or the time frame, and we'll be reading off the songs, we'll play a little clip of them, we'll talk about them. So this first time again, if you've listened to the episode, I'm sure you did, 
there's two different time periods. Uh, these are the top songs for June of 1956, per Wikipedia, the Billboard Top 100. The first one is Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis Presley. So that's a little bit of Heartbreak Hotel by the great Elvis Presley. Um, Michelle, what are your thoughts on Heartbreak Hotel slash Elvis Presley? Well, I mean, it's Elvis Presley. That's, Enough said. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> unless you hate... I would. I mean, I don't want to say unless you hate music, but unless you hate good music. Well, I mean, you don't have to be a fan of Elvis to appreciate Elvis. Right. No, I'm with. I'm just. I was just kind of teasing. He's a king, you know. Um, How familiar are you with Elvis and the Heartbreak Hotel song? Have you listened to it very much? Is it just one of those that you know? I of? can sing along to it, and so I don't know why bit. or how, but I mean, but you have heard quite a bit of it. Well, and it's weird is we listened to it right before we recorded, right. just to kind of refresh our memories, and now it's going through my head, <laughs> and I can't stop it. So it's kind of like a Disney song that will probably play in my head now for weeks on end, and I'm going to be like, "Damn it, Elvis, get out of my head!" <laughs> but um. No, I, I, I like Elvis. I, he just resonates that time era, mm-hmm. and the young Elvis, right, versus the old Elvis, right before he died. You know, right. sitting on the toilet eating a peanut butter spaghetti sandwich or whatever it was <laughs> on the throne. Peanut butter and banana sandwich. I believe it there was. was. It was my grandfather who liked peanut butter and spaghetti or something. That's, that's just weird. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Don't quote me on it, but I think it was like maybe spaghetti and onions. I don't know. But anyways, gross whatever. It is. <laughs> uh, the older Elvis grossed me out. The jumpsuits grossed me out. You know, just I think fame got to him. I'm pretty oh sure yeah, he gets everybody. Then. Stuff, yeah. But, um. I have to say, Elvis just oozes a cool, you know, and it just fifties sock hop, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, no, I love that time period too. Yeah. Part of it may be because my mom was a big Elvis fan. Yes. As we've talked about before, my mom loved Elvis, and you know that that era of of music. Like I said, there's a, a burger place in a nearby town called Fresno called uh, Fat Jacks. Yep. That plays 50s music. They have car hops and all that. And we went there a couple of times. Yeah, my mom loves that kind of stuff because that was, again, she was born in 49. So, you know, in the 50s, she was a young, you know, preteen growing up to this. So, little skirts and yes. sock hops. Yes. So, that, this was my mom's time period. That's my grandma's too. And so, yeah. So, <laughs> my mom was, and again, I'm so, I'm close to my, was close to my mother. So, yeah, Elvis is a big influence on, you know, my mom, and, and so, of course, it, it rubs off on me. Right. Again, yeah, I, Heartbreak Hotel, all the songs are great, but, yeah, like you said, it's Elvis. What more are you going to say about him? I mean, he is the king. He, you know, he's apparently living in the space of aliens that are off fighting mummies with uh, black, black uh, uh, JFK. Yeah. <laughs> great but, movie. But, you know, you, when you hear it, you see his hips moving in your head, mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah, that's what he is in the pelvis. That's what he's famous hair. for. Yeah. Oh no, he's very iconic. Very. 
again, when you think 50s and sock hop, I think, I think Elvis Presley, he's one of the top performers of that time period that you think of. I agree. Okay, and unless you have something else you want to say about Elvis, which I'm sure we talk about it more in the future, let's move on to the next song. Oh, really? Oh. Are you are you leading up to something that that? You well, know, no, no, just that Elvis jumps. Elvis jumps around. That uh, Elvis was big in the '50s and '60s, and I don't think I was spoiling anything by saying Sam does a lot in the '50s and '60s mm. era as far as leaping. So nice to know that. So, so you did drop a little bit of the hint that we do go back and forth into the era again. Yeah, we will. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if it's spoilers. It may be it's a so spoiler, sweetie. I'm just, yeah. I'm just being snarky because the whole put a pin in it and all that more. Let's put a pin on that also. <laughs> the next song on my list. There, again, there's only two for that that month. Uh, the Wayward Wind by Googie Grant. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that Googie Grant. Let's go ahead and listen to a bit of that. So that was a little bit of Wayward Wind by Googie Grants. Uh, I've never heard of that. The beat, the beat, the, the the sound sounds a little familiar, but I don't know if I've ever heard of it. I why it sounds familiar to you because it does not sound familiar to me. <laughs> so again, I didn't really give any information on the Elvis song because, well, everyone knows Elvis and Heartbreak Hotel and all the songs. So I'm gonna give a little background on this song just because, again. I don't know. Uh, Wayward Wind is a country song written by Stanley Lebowski and Herb Newman. Those names sound kind of familiar, so I think... I'm glad they sound familiar to you. I don't recognize them. Well, they just sound like... I think, to be honest with you, I'm sure that they've written a lot of popular songs. Probably. Um, The song is a sad tale of a lover of the opposite sex who became the next of kin to the restless... Wandering Wayward Wind. The other lover lived in a shack by the railroad track in their younger days. However, the lover hoped to settle down with the other, but resumed to keep on wandering, leaving the lover alone with a broken heart. Makes no sense to me. Uh, the 1956 versions recorded by Googie Grant, Tex Ritter, and Jimmy Young, of which Grant's was the biggest seller in the United States, and Ritter's in the United Kingdom. The song reached number one on Cashbox Chart, which combined all recorded versions while Grant's version reached number one on the Billboard chart on its own. And that's why I'm playing it. Uh, Billboard ranked it as the number five song for 1956. It became a gold record. We're going to use the song to open his stage shows. Let me see. This was uh, a single by Googie Grant. It was from an album called Suddenly There's Googie Grant. On the B side, again, for the kids out there, uh, they used to have records. It was a large disc, like a CD, but larger, that a needle would sit on and, and play. There was the A side, which was the, the, I guess, the more popular, the more well-known songs. And you would flip the record over and play the other side, which was called the B side. Uh, this was a single, which was a small record. 
usually with one song on each side. Uh, the B-side had a song called No More Than Forever. It was released in 1956, recorded in 1955. The label was Era. Anyway, so that's the song. So Grant, which is Googie Grant, recorded recording featured a female chorus heard in the intro and outro of the song, sliding up and down, impersonating the sound of the wayward wind. Uh, I can't really say much more about this song because again, it sounds a little familiar, but not... It I just, and I think it's the beat, it's the, the the rhythm or something is what sounds a little familiar, like something. Kind of, I don't know, just kind of yodely for me. Kind of. It, it is just, I don't know, it's it's kind of slow, and I can see how in the fifties people liked it, but to be honest with you, it's not my jam. So that's all I gotta say about it because there's not really much I can say except for I could see how it was popular because of that time era, but I'll stick with Elvis, and that's all I gotta say about it. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. And moving on to the, the next segment for this episode, as there was two leaps, the top songs for the summer of 1968. Uh, here we go. The first one up is Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel. So that was Mrs. Robinson by the American music duo Simon Garfunkel. That was on their fourth studio album named Bookends in 1968. It was, let me see, famous for its inclusion in the 1967 film The Graduates. It was written by Paul Simon, who pitched it to director Mike Nichols alongside Art Garfunkel after Nichols rejected two other songs intended for the film. It also contains a famous reference to the baseball star Joe DiMaggio. Again, Mrs. Robinson's one I've heard for years. Uh, if you would have asked me before I looked it up, I couldn't tell you who sung it. I really thought it was like the monkeys or something. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, and I know I've done some researches on it because on my G.I. Joe podcast, I've had one of my podcasting friends named Clinton Robinson on that show. And I like to do little song clips for people when they come on. So I played that one when he comes on just because I find it funny. And I say, looking it up, I found by Lemonheads and the one by, uh, I'm like, that's not who did this. This is an older song than that. And then I got looking and found it was by uh, Simon and Garfunkel. So, Michelle, Mrs. Robinson, cuckoo-cuckoo. What, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on this? What is your, your, your history with it? I don't know. You just creep me out a little bit. But <laughs> what I do. I think you well. Hey, hey, hey. Cuckoo-cuckoo. Oh, stop it. Um... No, I, I don't know. I guess this is in my era. I, I don't know because I like, I grew up with some of this music because my mom, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Simon and Garfunkel fan, I guess. 
Uh, probably if you named off a couple other songs, I probably could say that I probably like maybe a few of their songs, but it's more folk, I think it is. Are they more folk? I, I would probably call it more folk. Yeah, I, I mean. But what I, I know about songs. I don't know if they. They didn't sing Puff the Magic Dragon. I think no, that was. That was uh, the Papas. What was that? Or Peter, Paul, and Mary? No, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Yeah, there you go. And I think, like, there was a lady who ate a peanut butter sandwich in that room or something. Didn't she eat a peanut butter sandwich? I went. That's just the peanut sandwiches to make. You're, you're <laughs> thinking. Uh, mamas and Papas, Mama, Mama Costs, or what yes. cast, whatever, supposedly died on a ham sandwich. There you go. See, I knew, like, my, my sandwich lore music <laughs> tonight so wacko. Yeah, no, that was the Mamas and the Papas, uh, Mama <laughs> Costs, or whatever her name is. Supposedly, I, I don't know how true it is, I'm not sure, but she choked to death on a on a ham sandwich, like I've heard. Something like that. So, yeah. So, now that we got this straight now, no, this, this is not... Uh, <laughs> This is not the random sandwich. The monkeys. <laughs> this isn't the monkeys. It's not the mamas and the papas. Uh, as far as I'm aware, no one died eating a eating sandwich. ham sandwich on this song. So, <laughs> but no, uh, um, man, what time is it? Is it time for me to go yet? I think it is. Yeah. I'm gonna carry on the rest of the show myself. I'm just my wife's gone insane. <laughs> I quit. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into some better music, and then maybe I can actually show my uh, music. Hey, we'll those see. Disney songs, I'd know it like a heartbeat, but... I don't think there's a lot of Disney songs in, the, in this Quantum series. Way. Darn it. But, uh... He doesn't, like, go to, like, Walt Disney Land or Dis- Walt Disney World? He's probably been in that. What? <laughs> <laughs> I love saying that. Uh, I did a double take right there. But, um, yeah, I've, I've heard of this song for years. Yeah, I mean, I've heard it. I've seen it in different movies. I even think... Isn't it even in, um... American Pie. Yes, because Stifler. Yes, Stif- no. Well, it's Stifler's mom. Stifler's mom. It's uh. Oh no. Stifler. Not Stifler's mom and Stifler. That's a whole different movie. Oh, Stifler's, Stifler's mom, mom and one of the Stifler's friends. Shipwreck. Yeah. Yes. They, he yeah they get anything going on so yeah that's very much a, a Mrs. Robinson type thing. So, exactly. Yeah. So see, I kind of redeem myself just a hair. <laughs> I, I get to redeem myself just a little bit. Well, yeah, maybe. Oh shut. But, up. <laughs> but uh. No, as far as the song goes, it's an okay song. Um, I don't... If we were to actually say... I don't know. I wish that these songs, they're not going to, but I wish they were a little bit more thematic for the episodes because I like, you know, tying things in. Wait a minute. Let's wait and see. Well, this one thing... That's not a spoiler or anything because I'm not sure what songs in the future are coming up, but... I mean, I, I will say maybe we'll see. Well, you know, like hot for teachers, right? Like the next episode or something like that. Probably not. I know, I know. Anyways, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. There, there may come a time oh, when a song happens to coincide and with. I will be one happy camper because mm-hmm. I will have to point that out. In fact, we might have to go through the Billboard 100 and pick out songs that fit. No, no, I'm only doing the ones for that time period, that, that month or. You say that Monday time period, and we can do it that way. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, a few other notes on this. Apparently, the the whole cuckoo kachu oh. was a homage to the lyric in the Beatles, "I am the walrus." Yes. Uh, also, there's a last verse in there about Joe DiMaggio. Uh, apparently, si- Paul Simon was a big fan of Mickey Mantle, so I guess he was asked during an intermission on the Dick Cavett show why Mantle wasn't mentioned instead of DiMaggio, because usually they'll throw who they're f- fans of. And Simon replied, 
It's about syllables, Dick. It's about how many beats there are. I guess later on, Simon happened to meet DiMaggio at a New York City restaurant in the 70s. And, of course, the song came up. And DiMaggio said, well, I don't understand why you, you know, where you ask where I've gone. I did a Mr. Coffee commercial. I'm a spokesman for the Bowery Savings Bank. I haven't gone anywhere. And Simon replied, well, I, I didn't mean the line literally. It's just that, you know, he thought it was an American hero. Genuine heroes were in short supply. I guess DiMaggio accepted that and thanked him. He shook hands and said goodnight. Aw, <laughs> he called him a hero. So, yeah, so that was very interesting. I had to share that with you guys. Another useless fact, but better head. I'm full of useless facts. And I guess he performed this, Mrs. Robinson, at Yankee Stadium in DiMaggio's honor shortly after DiMaggio died in 1999. Oh, that's so cute. So, that's but yeah. Sweet. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah this, this is a classic Mrs. Robinson that's, like I said, when I when I uh, introduced my buddy Clinton Robinson on my G.I. Joe podcast. Quit product placement. That's what I do. Uh, I pick myself out. Uh, I had to play this clip, and I know my buddies Pat Sampson and Jared Albrecht, whenever they have uh, Clinton over on their shows, they play it also. So, oh, so now that's, that's his thing now. <laughs> but that's Mrs. Roberts. Like I said, I really enjoy that song. It's just, it's one of those that I've heard growing up on and off. And so, whenever I, I hear that song, it brings back fond memories. You know that. Just kind of sounds a little creepy if you don't put it in the right context. But no, it's creepy. I think about older women and oh, that's no, right. no, no, no. About you saying it brings back oh, fond memories yeah, oh. if you hear the song. Yeah, it does. Yeah, because I'm kind of creepy. Anyways, that's another story entirely. Um, and just note to any future people coming on: be careful what you say because he might actually put something to you that's going to follow you around. That's what I do. Be careful. <laughs> Next song for the summer of 1968 was. This Guy's In Love With You by Herb Alpert, A-L-P-E-R-T, Alpert. So that was This Guy's In Love With You. It was written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David and recorded by Herb Alpert. Uh, I guess Hal, um, Hal er, Herb was known for trumpet playing with the leader of the Tijuana Brass. I've actually heard of them. Uh, he sung lead vocals on a solo recording. Uh, I guess this, an earlier recording of this song was by British singer Danny Williams titled That Guy's In Love which appeared on his 1968 self-titled album. 
This was, as I said, released by Herb Alpert on a single. The album was entitled The Beat of the Brass. The B-side was A Quiet Tear from Lonely Bull, released in April of 1968. Uh, again, I don't. I, the, the beat sounds a little familiar, but I'm not quite sure. I don't know if I could have pointed this out to you before I listened to it. Um, Michelle, do you have any thoughts on this song? Michelle? 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 Huh? What? Any, <laughs> any thoughts at all? This guy's in love with you? I'm Herb like, Halbert? Sorry, but uh, that song put me to sleep. You know, anyways, moving on. Uh, yeah, again, I don't. I guess uh, several female folklists have rendered song, This Girl's in Love With You. Nancy Sinatra debuted this version on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1968. Dionne Warwick was the first to record the song in 69. Uh, spent four weeks at number two on the Easy Listening chart. Easy Listening. Yeah. My point is made. I mean, it's yeah. not, I guess, a bad song, but... It's not a horrible song, but yeah, no, it, it is. I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's. It can be played in an elevator. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, enough about that song. Let's go move on to the next one since neither of us is really fond of that one. The next song is called Grazing in the Grass by Hugh Mascalia. Grazing in the Grass? Grazing in the Grass. Are we talking about cows? Uh, I don't know. I didn't write the song. Let's go ahead and take a listen to it and we'll see what it talks about. So that little little ditty was Grazing the Grass. It's an instrumental composed by Philmon Ho and first recorded by the South African trumpeter Hugh Mescala. It was released in the United States as a single in 1968, and it reached number one on the Billboard Top 100 chart, which is why I'm talking about it. Uh, again, it's just an instrumental. And there's no words to that one. I guess there was a vocal version of the song by the Friends of Distinction. Uh, with lyrics, but and that was in '69. Hmm. It's been recorded by other musicians. It sounds a little familiar to me. You've said that for almost every song. I mean, there's because I got a, I got a, I got a crap memory, and these songs sound familiar. Well, you're remembering crap, that's for sure. <laughs> but I will say, in the words of the Almighty Christopher, Christopher Walken, Walken, 
It needs more cowbell. I got a fever. <laughs> and the only prescription is more cowbell. So, uh, yes, yeah, you always need more cowbell. Um, some other notes on this. Uh, looks like this was recorded by many other musicians, including Stevie Wonder, The Ventures, Chet Atkins, Galapagos Duck, Bonnie James, Rick Braun, Harry Harlow, Mit Willie Mitchell, The Monitors, Scofflaws, Miko, and Dexies. Uh, it was covered by Raven Simone, which was played on Radio Disney. Never received general commission. I'm sorry, general commercial release as a single in other venues. Uh, oh, and you, you were asking for Disney stuff. The music video for her version features her and dancing extras interacting with the scenes from Lion King One and a Half. Hmm. Uh, they also received frequent airplay on Disney Channel as well as MTV and BET. Uh, it was what? Huh? Doing what? Raven Simone's version of this song was on Grazing in the Grass. Yes, that's what I said. Raven Simone was doing a, did a a version of this Weird. in two thousand four. It was sampled by the hip-hop duo Nice and Smooth on the track One, Two, and One More Makes Three from their album And a Damn Thing Changed. Uh, also on Sugar Ray's 1990 song Every Morning, there's a sample of the song we heard in that. And then jazz saxophonist George Howard did an update version of Raising the Grass on his album When Summer Comes in 1993. It's been used in several movies, uh, soundtracks, Battle of the Sexes, Talk to Me, Bobby... Last King of Scotland, Anchorman, Lion King One and a Half, as I mentioned, Space Cowboys, Jackie Brown, and I Shot Andy Warhol. Uh, the 1988 film, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, uh, the Friends of Distinctions version was played on a car stereo, featuring Isaac Hay singing along, but off key for comic effect. Uh, in 2018, there was also a song included in an episode of Family Guy with the Friends of Distinction as themselves through an archival recording. Huh. So yeah, so it's, again, I say, it's probably why it sounds familiar to me. Because it's been redone by so many people, I probably picked it up somewhere along the way. Um, also, let me see, this was included on, he included this song in his album, Grazing in the Grass, in 2001. And I guess he had another album called Still Grazing in 2004. Oh, gosh. So I guess he likes grazing. Apparently. Anywho, that's, that's Grazing in the Grass uh, by Hugh Mescalica. And now for something completely different. I'm a cow, can't you see that I live in a tree? I'm a cow, hills are high, grass is green, heaven for a fat whole steam. My cut, eat my hay, same old damn thing every day. Farmer Brownie, what he seems, he gets off on milking me. Next one I'm going to play is called Hello, I Love You by The Doors. Doors, now we're talking. Now we're getting into some music. This is, this, yeah. Okay, now I feel better. DJ, play that funky beat. Oh, we had to ruin it.
And that was, what's it called? Hello, I Love You by some group called The Doors. Never heard of them. I don't think they're going to mount anything. Uh, I don't. I think they're like a one-hit wonder. Michelle, are you awake for this one? Oh, I'm so awake. <laughs> and uh, Jim Morrison comes in your in your dreams and haunts you. <laughs> and just for the record, I am kidding. I have heard of the doors. They're over there next to the windows. Oh my God, you're that was such a dad joke. Oh, Dad, what do you want from me? Uh, this was called again, as I mentioned, jokingly and seriously. Hell, I love you. It's by the Doors. It was uh, written by some guy named Jim Morrison. After, and I just found this out. Check this out. It was wrote in 1965. After seeing a beautiful woman walking on the beach. And um, he said he, they said he wrote the song in one night. He said he popularized this pickup line, Hello, I love you, won't you tell me your name? And uh, it literally was because he saw somebody walking on the beach. Hmm. And it became, a, like, one of his popular songs. Yeah, like I said, I, I know the Doors. I was joking earlier about the whole, oh, who I are they? But uh, I'm not a huge Door... <laughs> I'm going to say I'm not a huge Doors fan, but I enjoy them. Again, I'm more of an old-school rap fan, but I, I enjoy the Doors. they got some good music. Oh, they're amazing. Uh, again, I'm pulling information from Wikipedia just to give you guys some information on this. Apparently, there is a plagiarism controversy on this song. Apparently, in the linear notes to the Doors box set, don't you have that? No, I Well, I think Floyd is who you had. Never mind. Uh, Robbie Krieger has denied allegations that the song, the musical structure, was stolen from Ray Davies, where a riff similar to it is featured in The Kinks all day and all of the night. Instead, Krieger said the song's vibe was taken from Cream's song, Sunshine of Your Love. Oh, jeez. But Davis has continued to assert that the Door song was based on his. In a 2012 interview with Mojo Magazine, Davis said, The funniest thing was when this my publisher came to me on tour and said the Doors have used the riff for their Hello of You. I said, rather than sue them, can't we just get them done up? My publisher said they have, and that's why we should sue them. In a 2014 interview with Rolling Stone, Davis suggested that an out-of-court settlement had been reached with the Doors. So did you have thoughts on that, or did you hear something about that? Or No, I haven't. Oh, when I mentioned the uh, Sunshine of Your Love, you see her... This is another really good song. Oh, okay. I, I probably know of it, but again, I'm not... Unless it's rap music yeah. from the early 80s, I'm probably... I, I cannot grade it titles, and, but yeah, if I play it, I probably understand. I probably remember it. It sounds familiar, at least. It's, it's really good. Uh, it's another really, really good song. The Doors, uh, my mom being... My mom played a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, cleaning the house and... The Doors was played. Dirty, you young, and hippie. Uh, yeah, no, but I mean, she grew up in that era, so seventies uh, and sixties. Yeah, like rock, okay, acid rock. So yeah, dirty, yeah. young, and hippies. <laughs> she wasn't a hippie though, but I mean, I I love that music. I mean, in high school, I played The Doors in my car. Uh, Pink Floyd in my car, uh, Janis Joplin, my grandfather, who was like the hee haw guy, who like. Crystal Gale and and uh, Dolly Parton loved Janis Joplin. So and he was so tickled pink when he found out that like I was a Janis Joplin fan. So we kind of bonded over that. But um, yeah, it's kind of cool to to finally get a, at least a glimpse of some music that I'm not. We started off with some good music: Heartbreak okay. Hotel, Mrs. Yeah. Robinson. We've had some good songs. I'm sorry, but this is the first one. I mean, yes. Don't diss Elvis. I'm not. Don't diss the king. I'm not dissing the king. My mom will come back and haunt you in your dreams. (laughs) 
this is the first one that really got me excited. Yeah. This is more my, this is where my love of music starts. It, this is where it peaks. This is where I grew up. So this is my first hurrah of where music starts for me. Well, again, everyone knows The Doors, and I'm sure everyone knows Hell, I Love You. Again, that's a very, very well-known song. The Doors is a very, very uh, popular, very well-known group, especially among hippies. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying that. That's not nice. Oh, uh, why? Being a hippie bad? No, but... How about a dirty tree-hugging hippie? Never mind. Anyways, uh, so do you have any other thoughts on The Doors or Hello, I Love You? Will you just start my shenanigans? Yep. All right. Let's go ahead and move on then. The final song for the summer of 1968 was a song called People Gotta Be Free by the Rascals. I don't know if that's the Little Rascals, though. Different Rascals. Anyways, let's go and listen to that. And that was People Gotta Be Free by the Rascals. Uh, before we started, before I played it, I wasn't quite sure if I knew what it was. I knew the Rascals, but I'm not familiar with that song. But then when we started playing, I'm like, oh, okay, I know that song. It's one of those, again, I'm terrible at song names, but I, I know when I hear them. Uh, this was released in 1968, as I said, by the Rascals. It was written by group members Felix Cavaliar and Eddie Brighetti and featured a lead vocal from Calavera. Uh, it's a musically upbeat, but impassioned plea for tolerance and freedom. Kind of need that right now, don't we? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> in the song's coda, Felix says in a half-sung, half-spoken voice that the train of freedom is about to arrive any minute now and has been long, long overdue and that it's coming right on through before the songs fade with Felix saying chug repeatedly. Uh, we're still waiting. Anyways, moving on from talking about current problems. <laughs> Michelle. Yes. People got to be free. Yes. Thoughts? Um, I had no clue. I'm, I'm really bad of names. Really, really bad with names. Uh, especially even band names unless it's, you know, someone like The Doors or Pink Floyd or something like that. But, um, I know the song and it's a great song. Um, it's not like I gotta listen to it daily. But, I enjoyed it and made my heart happy. So, that was oh, it. Yeah. yeah, I was just looking at Wikipedia on this. Apparently, after this thing, after this song came out, the Rascals would only perform it with concerts that featured an African American act. If they weren't meant, they would cancel their shows in protest. Wow. Those were the uh, the top songs for June of '56, summer of '68. And that is what's on Sam's playlist. Uh, moving on to the, the final section of this, this show, a little something I've called Brush With History. A lot of things that talk about Quantum Leap have a thing called Kiss With History, because if you watch Quantum Leap, there's a lot of instances, which we'll talk about, where Sam actually comes up against something real life or 
something that actually happened in history. It's not all made up for the show. So I'm going to be talking about those with Michelle here. And, uh, Ooh, great history. I mean, I like history, but I'm really bad at it. And so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this. Uh, the first up for this first episode for the first section, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the first one again was, uh, Tom Stratton piloting the X2, X3, uh, the super fast ship at going to Mach 3, and he had to pilot that and survive. Well, apparently a new man flight altitude record of 1,000, no, 126,200 feet was set by a captain, Ivan Kinoshi, flying the Bell X2 in 1956. This episode Genesis portrayed the X2 breaking Mach 3, but in reality it was an X3 aircraft that broke the barrier. Uh, in 1956, a Bell X2 rocket plane sets the record for the fastest speed by aircraft, reaching Mach 2.87 or more than 1,900 miles per hour, 60,000 feet above the dry lake bed of Edwards Air Force Base, California. So apparently it's, while it was fictional, there is some basis to reality to it. There was an X-3, an actual X-2 plane that went almost Mach 3, and it was out by Edwards Air Force Base. So, huh. So I didn't know about that until I looked it up. I wasn't sure that was, I didn't think, realize it was real. I knew that they tested planes and stuff, but I didn't realize how accurate The real deal was. Yes. I'm sure, you, again, we neither one of us was born at this point. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? No, just that's, I mean, it's neat. I like when writers kind of do that. When they mm-hmm. use real world stuff and kind of make it into the fiction, non-fictional. Always get those two mixed up. Fictional. Fictional. Okay. I, I was Quantum right is, in my head and I second guessed myself. Quantum Leap is fictional. The X3 they brought, broke Mach 3 was... Non-fictional. Non-fiction. Yeah. It's where my dyslexia comes in because for me, non... I don't know. Maybe we're not going to get into that. You know, we're probably going to edit all that out anyways. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No. Anyways. So, but I find it interesting when writers use different aspects of a real-life event and then twist it to make it their own and then you can go back and actually pull facts because then I kind of feel like a Nancy Drew in a way. So, it's my little... Oh, I did not much to speak about that because I wasn't, wasn't aware of that until I looked it up. But yeah, it's interesting. But and I, I agree with you. Air Force Base. We knew of Air, Edwards Air Force right. Base. So, it was neat that Sam was at Edwards Air Force Base. It could have been, you know... I'm going to use my favorite term right now, the wonky donkey Air Force Base. You know, it could have been something like that, right. and it would have made no difference where he was. Right. But because they used Edwards Air Force Base, they could have used, there's another town here locally called Lemoore Air Force Base, or something like that. That would have made it more recognizable to us because we're in California. Right. San Diego, something like that. If it was, you know, for like... Navy or whatever, or, right. but, no Marines. But Edwards is a very no, well-known Air Force base, exactly. and again, it's more factual. Yes, than a set makes there. it feel a little bit more realistic. Oh, it is real for a fictional. Quantum show. life is real. Leave oh, me alone. Jesus Christ. Okay, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> Anyways, before I get in trouble, too late. Uh, <laughs> for the next section, well, actually, no, it was in the same same. Part same section Genesis. Sam started the idea for Trivia Pursuit when he filled out the the questionnaire <laughs> for the doctors, and there was a comment about this could be a game or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a reference to Trivia Pursuit. The actual Trivia Pursuit was created December the fifteenth, nineteen seventy nine, in Montreal by Canadian Chris Haney, a photo editor for Montreal's The Gazette, and Scott Abbott, a sports editor for the Canadian Press. I guess they found pieces of their Scrabble game missing. They decided to create their own game with the help of John Haney and Ed Wiener. Werner? Werner. You said Wiener. I said Wiener. <laughs> and they completed, completed development of the game, which was released in 1981. So unlike the last part... It took them that long to create it? Apparently. Wow. To get, well, to create it and get it released. That's a long time, though. Yes. 
And so apparently, unlike the last uh, Brush of History, which actually had a lot of reality in it, this has nothing to do with reality. It was created by some Canadians in 79 and wasn't released until 1981, uh, considering in the pilot, the Genesis, the first party was in 56. Yeah, this has no, this one has no actual merit with hit with history, with actual history. But it's interesting that, yeah, they did bring up the whole Trivia Pursuit thing in the in the show. It was just a fun little tidbit. I don't even yeah. tidbit, like little throw a dog a bone kind of thing. Yeah, just an interesting little thing. Uh, but I guess that's going to do it for this week's, or this, well, this week's, this episode's <laughs> Brush with History. Uh, and that's going to do it for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Let Michelle and I know what you think about this episode, about the show, the Starbright Project. You can email us at starbrightproject.com at headspeaks.com. Again, starbrightproject at headspeaks.com. And we'll get your emails. Uh, maybe we'll read them on the air. But we definitely like hearing from people. Uh, you can also check us out on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page. Actually, I'm sorry, a Facebook group set up for all of my podcasts. It's just called the Headcast Network. Uh, check it out over there. We'll have show notes. We'll have information on there. Uh, feel free to join. Say hi. Let us know what you think about this episode. Either send us an email or go to the Facebook page or you can go to our website. We do have a webpage for this called starbrightproject.headspeaks.com. From there, you can listen to the episode, you can read the show notes, and you can leave your comments. But we love to hear from people. Absolutely. And uh, just so you know, there might be a time when we might have some special guests also. Maybe some writers or you never know. We can have some guests appearances or other uh other podcasters that will jump in and join us on occasion uh just to make it a little bit lively and uh add some more je ne sais quoi what's your language anyway but that's gonna do it for this episode of the starbright project so this again as we talked about this is your first time sitting through quantum leap this is our first episode what are your thoughts overall on quantum leap so far i'm sold um (laughs) It's funny because wasn't sure what to think in I, but I really, really like it. I can't wait to watch the next episode. So, uh, speaking of that, um, I know, like I said in the beginning of the episode, we're doing this where I only get to watch one episode per recording. So, dang it, this is going to kill me because I want to binge watch. So, can you tell me where Sam... Is gonna go next. Yeah, he returns home. The show's over. Oh, you're so funny. <laughs> I'm joking. Let me check the hand link. Oh, interesting. Okay. What? Nothing. Come no. Uh, well, dig out your bell bottoms and let's get ready to go to school. 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 What kind of school? Let's put a pin in that until next episode. Oh boy. Thank you for listening to the Starbright Project. Join us monthly as we continue leaping with Sam and Al. If you like the show, I recommend buying Quantum Leap on Blu-ray. You can also watch it on the NBC website or app. The only thing on this show that Michelle and I own are our thoughts and opinions. NBC Universal own the rights to Quantum Leap, and any songs that we use are owned by their respective owners. Any clips we use, we're using good faith for the show. I know this doesn't excuse us legally, but we just want NBC to sue us. We're just big fans of the show and want to share that love with the world. For more podcasting goodness, check out the other shows on the Headcast Network. 
Head Speaks is released on the first Tuesday of the month, where I talk about comics, TV shows, movies, books, and whatever I want, but it's usually geek-related. G.I. Joe, Aurora Mucket Headcast, is normally out the second Tuesday of the month, where a rotating batch of guest hosts and I discuss the G.I. Joe comics and cartoons from the 80s. The third Thursday brings us Task Force X, where I talk about John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate comics, both from the late 80s, early 90s. Finally, the fourth Tuesdays of the month, we have the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I examine the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comics, again, both from the late 80s. Then on Thursdays, I release my second batch of shows, where Michelle shows up on most of them. The first Thursday of the month, I'll be releasing the Starbright Project, a Quantum Leap podcast, where Michelle and I look at the greatest time travel show in the late 80s and early 90s. Then the second Thursday of the month, look for Retrospect to the 80s, you guessed it, Michelle and myself take a time travel trip back to the greatest decade that was, in my opinion. The third Thursday will possibly, maybe, bring another show, Voyager's Cast, where Michelle, I, and some guests look at the best time travel show from the early 80s. And finally, on the fourth Thursday of the month, I have Bravo Team, where myself and possibly some guest hosts talk about anything G.I. Joe related, not covering the main G.I. Joe show. Also, if you like what I'm doing, please check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash headcastnetwork. If you're enjoying my shows, throw a few bucks in the bin. It'd be most appreciated. But that'll do it for this episode. Join us next time to see where Sam ends up. Oh, boy.